0: There's so many things to rally around right now on planet Earth. I mean, you can rally around saving the planet. You can rally around the oceans. You can ra- like you can rally around so many things. Yeah. But like you have a destiny to rally around something that is true and important to you. And if you just end up getting swept up into everybody else's platform or everybody else's, you know, destiny line, you sometimes miss the boat to find your own destiny and to see what you're really here to create and do and and make meaningful in your life. And so I think that to me is like, we've got to find some neutrality. We've got to find some space so that you can find what, what you are
1: here to create with your life welcome to living 4d with paul check today's guest is vanessa lambert for 30 years vanessa has leveraged holistic techniques for personal transformation drawing on both modern and ancient healing methods vanessa's expertise spans soft energy movement breath work and healing arts like spiritual counseling kundalini yoga akashic reading reiki and sound healing. She is the driving force behind Be The Wellness and Starseed Collective, organizations offering a blend of online and in-person events dedicated to fostering transformative change through holistic means. Her life mission? Aiding others in surpassing personal limits and finding their unique destiny through alignment with their soul path. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. Your opinions matter and your ratings help us to grow and help more people to be healthy, find freedom of body and mind and to live their dreams. A big thank you to our sponsors by Optimizers, Paleo Valley, Organifi, and our newest sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures. Their support is essential in producing this podcast, and we hope you will show your support by visiting them online and trying all the amazing products that they produce. The topic of Paul and Vanessa's conversation today is the Akashic
2: Records. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check Today, we are going to speak about the Akashic Records, With Vanessa Lambert. I was turned on to Vanessa Lambert by Jared Picard and I looked into her and it was just serendipitous timing that I had two or three students (laughs) recommend I listen to podcasts with Vanessa Lambert. They all said, oh, you really like this lady. I, I think you should consider her for your podcast. So at first I was hesitant just because I get so many podcast offers and Jared throws them at me all the time. But then I thought, okay, well, if I've got people telling me, I better look into it. I did. So I met with Vanessa, and it was obvious to me that she had the juice we need on the podcast. And since we've never talked about the Akasha Records yet, I thought, well, let's hear from the Queen of the Akasha Records. So, Welcome, Vanessa.
0: Thank you so much, Paul. It's so fun to be with you. And yeah, that uh, I think that Virgo connection was just like (laughs) instant, right? I was like, oh, I know you.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's why I said, when are you born? You you seem very, your mental structure is very much like mine.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I was definitely seeing like a fractal of my soul. I was like, okay. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. No, it's so fun to be with you. You know, I've been in your aura for a long time. And we have lots of mutual friends and yeah, it's just fun. It's fun to be here together.
2: Fantastic. Well, Vanessa, I know you're most known for your ability to read the Akashic records, but since uh, most people and probably some of my audience are not familiar with you, I'd love it if you can give us a biographical sketch of how you evolved to who you are today and what is important to you as a person.
0: Oh gosh, you know it's always this little journey. You try to take people down in this succinct, you know, fashion to get to the heartbeat of it all. But I think you know ultimately for me, it all comes down to, you know, I'm I'm a teacher um, and a student, and I think that ultimately what I really love to help people do is to find that guru in them. And so, you know, most of my life has been, when I look back at it, has been just a search for answers, a search to discover and uncover new aspects of myself, new aspects of reality, new aspects of, you know, my understanding of this experience called life. And ultimately at the end of it, it's like, okay, well, how can I actually take this information and help others find that for themselves? And I think that's the big thing I want People out there to understand about me and about what I offer is that like I'm not here to tell you anything that uh, that should be true for you. I'm here to encourage you to find your own truth. And and this guru and you thing is a big deal for me. Like I want you to find the answers for yourself. Mm. I want you to find what's true for you and what's meaningful for you. And if I can be supportive and uh, and loving and and a helpful guide along the way, then I'm here for that.
2: Yeah, I think that's important because, you know, the risk is always being guruized by people or turned into a mommy or a daddy figure. And and I I found um, either of those is problematic. Um, If you're a mommy and daddy figure, then they always want you to solve all their problems and keep running to you and don't take the responsibility of being responsible for themselves. And if they turn you into a guru, they think you walk on water and the day you fart, you're all of a sudden a bad guy, you know?
0: A hundred percent. And I think especially, you know, I teach Akashic records. I teach Kundalini yoga. I'm in a lot of these kind of, you know, esoteric sex where it would be very easy to guruize and it would be very easy to just, you know, make me the place where you go for the answers. But like, I just, that is not what I'm here for. I'm here to help reflect the light at you to show you, you know, anything that might be useful, anything that will be supportive, but for you to hold the light of your own life in your own hands and to really, you know, be the master of your own destiny.
2: Yeah, I think that's cr- critical. That's what Jung called individuation. So, you know, if we don't become whole unto ourselves, then we are very susceptible to you know, daddy figures and and false leaders and You know, the Donald Trumps and the, you know, the apes that pound their chest in public and make lots of promises they never keep and play lots of tricks with people. But people that haven't become an adult and can't think for themselves unconsciously fall for that. And it leads to a lot of people doing things like getting vaccinated with something that's got no research on it, no ingredient list and all the other crap that went along with that whole show and still goes on. But, uh, you know, that's where humanity's at. I think we're in a a rite of passage ceremony right now.
0: Yeah, and I think there's a lot of pressure on us. And I think that, you know, even more so the reason that I want to help people depressurize themselves and get to the truth, because you know, in this polarity experience that is planet Earth, it's like we're pulled in so many directions and there's so much pressure to conform in each of those directions. You're for this, you're against this. You love this, you hate this. It's like nobody's allowed to exist in neutrality anymore. And I think that's, you know, the biggest thing for me is like, can we find a neutral space? Can we find a space where you can actually decipher for yourself what's true and not just be confronted and compounded by everybody else's truth and, you know, co-opted and bullied and all of these things into all these different sects of, you know, what other people want you to believe and what other people want you to carry? And I think that this is the biggest thing for me and you know, it's so easy because there's so many things to rally around right now on planet Earth. I mean, you can rally around saving the planet. You can rally around the oceans. You can ra- like you can rally around so many things. Yeah. But like you have a destiny to rally around something that is true and important to you. And if you just end up getting swept up into everybody else's platform or everybody else's, you know, destiny line, you sometimes miss the boat to find your own destiny and to see what you're really here to create and do and, and make meaningful in your life. And so I think that to me is like, we've got to find some neutrality. We've got to find some space So that you can find what what you are here to create with your life.
2: Yeah, a situation like we've been going through, particularly since the beginning of COVID, and we had a taste of it at nine one one when the world was in shock. But um, and you know various other things, Princess Diana's death threw the world into a tizzy, and the wars in you know the Gulf Wars and all that stuff. All those things can strongly affect the collective unconscious and the personal conscious and unconscious because a lot of people just have a hard time looking at death and destruction and you know those of us that are even half awake know that a lot of most all of this stuff is all just organized crime it has nothing to do with real war it has everything to do with stealing from people so it leaves a lot of pain that's hard for people to confront and so but this time it's so since covid started it's so in your face that it's almost impossible to not, you know, be blanketed by it because it, you know, these things separated families into polarities. One of the key things that Jung taught was the importance of holding the tension of the opposites, but it's it's not an easy thing to do because you've got to sit, as the alchemists say, you've got to sit and cook in your own fear, your own insecurities, and give it a time to play out in you but be a witness to it instead of getting caught up in it. And I think a lot of people fall into their drama or into the world drama so deeply that they lose themselves in it. And next thing you know, they're eating junk food to medicate themselves, doing a, alcohol and drugs and going to psychiatrists for anti-anxiety drugs. And by the time they finally you know, start breathing again, they're so lost and screwed up. It's like they've already gone to war within themselves and lost the battle and I think it's it's just um, I think the beauty of it all is there's never been a time where authentic spiritual development is is more important because I don't think there's anything else that can really help you find your center and have tools for navigating the kind of environment that we're in but I think the beauty of it is is so much of the evil of the world is now just coming right in your face that it really makes it a very good opportunity to get clear on what your morality is and what your ethics are and, and what's important to you and what you're willing to stand up for and, and protect. I think we got to the point where the world is just so swamped with video games, junk food and you know mind altering numbing hypnotizing tv that it's it's a it's kind of a it's almost like the needle fell off the compass and everybody's just kind of going around in circles like drones and it makes them so susceptible to all sorts of gimmicks and trickery but uh what i'd love to hear a little bit about is is how did your spirituality develop how did your philosophy of life develop? What, what were the things that shaped you over the years to be in the position that you're in now?
0: It really starts with, you know, the family I was born into, and I consider myself really lucky because I was born and raised in Northern California. And so there's obviously just that, you know, there's that tapestry of Counterculture, you could say there's that tapestry of rebellion and people who are thinking outside of the box there's also obviously um you know a community and a culture around psychedelics and plant medicine, and you know just these things that I was sort of grown up and 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 had an opportunity to you know just i guess really to to utilize and to shape my consciousness as a young person
3: mm-hmm. and so
0: I think for me, a lot of it was you know, just the the beauty of growing up where I grew up. So I did psychedelics from a very young age. Um, I don't necessarily recommend this or what else. I'm not condoning it. People need to decide when when is right for them, if ever, you know. But I did my first uh, psychedelic experience when I was about 13 years old. Mm-hmm. And so I think from that moment, I just had a completely different, like, look on reality. I had a different, completely different perspective on This whole earth experience. And, you know, while most teenagers are falling into like hating their parents and, you know, deciding to rebel against everything, I think for me, I was like, oh, wow, it's not anything like what they told me. You know, the the war on drugs, right? This idea that these substances were terrible and, you know, you should be terrified of them, they'll ruin your life that was flew in the face of my experience. My experience was that it actually made me feel more connected.
2: Yeah, Um, totally.
0: (laughs) You know, just, and so I just felt like, okay, well, if that's not true, what else isn't true, you know? And I'm 13 at this point. Like, everything's on the table. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So um, from there, you know, I just was really lucky. My mom took me to get certified for Reiki when I was, like, 15 or 16. I just was growing up around medicine people and healers and people that were trying to, you know, just create a different reality for them. And I remember going to my mom's friends' houses and they had labyrinths, you know, like just – Just really beautiful things. I'm 44, so like this was a you know this is a while ago. This wasn't necessarily as common as it is now, but where I'm from in Northern California, you know, we had a community where this was somewhat common. So I was really blessed to be you know uh, to grow up in this to really just have this this environment that nurtured these aspects of me of me from a very young age. And then um when I was a young adult, I went to the Berkeley Psychic Institute um, oh, cool. and did Yeah, did like a year-long internship. I actually did it not at the institute, but I worked with teachers that were certified in that method for about a year. And that's when I learned how to use the Kashic Records and open the Kashic Records. So, you know, it it's like it's destiny. You, that's that's really what it is. It, I feel like all along. God, the universe, myself, whatever you, however you want to frame that, was leading me to this path and leading me to these modalities.
2: Well, they're all the same thing. (laughs) They're all the
0: same thing. It's all God.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You sound like a Mount Shasta child. Where are you from?
0: So I'm from a little town called Kelseyville, which is just like um, over the hill from Mount St. Helena. So it's like... Calistoga, Napa, Mendocino County, like the little county in between. Yeah. Uh So, and my husband's from Mendocino County. So, you know, we're just like little NorCal kids.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's funny because, you know, I'm a native Californian. I was born in Los Angeles, but you don't really meet very many Californians in California. (laughs) It's kind of
3: funny. You
2: don't. You can always tell when you do because they're like Vanessa.
0: (laughs) They're they're a rare breed. And, you know, we're living in Jackson Hole, Wyoming, and it's very interesting for me to realize. I'm like, no, I am a real Californian. Like, it's, I can't get around it. I can't hide it. Like, (laughs) it's there.
2: (laughs) Yeah. It's true. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I always love... I love meeting real Californians, you know, Angie's Angie's from Riverside and she's got the same kind of, you know, healthy hippie shaman woman, you know, (laughs) vibe that you do. And I love it. It's the strangest thing for me to be here and seeing California start to kind of turn into Chicago or something with all these people behaving like they have no sense of holism Seeing movie stars promoting vaccines and uh, churches telling people that God wants you to get vaccinated and Jesus wants you to get vaccinated. I'm like, I have never seen such bullshit in my life. Where are the Californians here?
0: And it's the antithesis of the true California spirit. Yeah, like It is the opposite.
2: I'm like, what opposite. is this? Is There's is a... The yeah. Californians need to come home to protect I, this place. <laughs> I
0: know. I literally have been talking to my husband about that. I'm like, you know, I think we're going to need to spend some more time back in California. Because I do. I, it's such a beautiful land. And it's so, so powerful. And the codes there are so strong. And it is. It's like there's there's this corruption happening of the true spirit, the true nature of the California frequency. And even, you know, their native lands. Like, it's it's a very powerful um, energy field. And so I feel you, I feel you. I'm going to come home and, you know, help out with the cause.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, interestingly, um, shaman that I worked with it was the most powerful woman I've ever known in my life. You should look this lady up if you've never heard of her just to see her artwork. It's mind blowing. Okay. She, she passed away, uh, several years ago. I started working with her in 2006 or five. I can't remember. Her name is Rowena Kreider. Rowena Kreider with a
0: yeah, C or a K?
2: K K R Y D E R. Okay. Sometimes she has her middle name in there. Rowena Petty P E T T E Kreider. Okay. I think she was Dutch, but uh, she she uh, lived in a tent on Mount Shasta for seven years doing healing on the earth and mm. you know dealing with the dark energy trapped in the earth because of the vortex energy there i think it gave her easier access to the deeper energies of the core of the planet but she was uh she was california writ large but <laughs> unbelievably powerful woman i mean i could talk for an hour straight just about all the wild stuff this woman could do but you if know, you look into yeah, her Mount Shasta. Art alone it's powerful
3: mm,
0: yeah I, I can feel it from here actually i can feel the energy
2: yeah yeah she's she's, she's strong
0: In Mount Shasta, last time I was there, just as a total aside here, but I have to tell this story because it's just like so indicative of the power of Mount Shasta. Uh I was there for a plant medicine ceremony and um, the shaman took us up to this, you know, kind of sacred portal and the mountain where just lots of magical things happen. And I was wandering around and he said, you know, everybody just kind of wander around and see what happens, see what you're called to draw in. And I was wandering around, and I looked, and there was this little, this little rolled-up piece of paper in the rock. And it's like, I mean, it's incredible that I noticed it because, I mean, it was just like this tiny little sliver in between the rock. And I pulled it out, and I read it. And I swear to God, it was a letter from me to me. Wow. It was crazy and I read it in the ceremony that night and I was like I found this today in the rock it literally detailed out all the things I was working on all my aspirations what I was here my mission it was like literally a letter from me to me and I'm like only in Mount Shasta I mean this
2: is it was just so wild that is interesting really yeah well that's fun (laughs) yeah
0: I mean a real letter like
2: Written as, the, out. <laughs> as, the old, as the old saying goes, God works in mysterious ways.
0: Very mysterious ways. Yeah. Yeah. When I read it to the group, they were just like, what? You didn't write this? Like, this isn't you? I'm like, no, but it is me. But it's, you know, but I found it. It was, yeah. Mount Shasta is a very powerful place.
2: Yeah. I, I, I like it there. It's They got a lot of neat shops there, a lot of great crystal shops. And, you know, it's got the the hardcore California vibe, you know.
0: For sure. Yeah, lots of sound healing, lots of just like, yeah, they're just they're they're high on the frequency. They get yeah. it. Yeah.
2: I'd love it if you could describe what the Akashic records are and mm. what their significance is particularly for those that are unfamiliar or maybe who have read a little bit about it but don't really understand it.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's kind of this very multidimensional thing. It's a little bit difficult to wrap your head around. But I think the easiest way to describe it is just really the records of all things that have ever happened and ever will happen. And, you know, that sounds kind of like, all right, let me let me titrate down and make that a little bit more usable. But if you think about your soul and everything that's happened to it, there's just this database where all of this information of your soul and everything that's happened is stored. And, uh, and so, you know, it's kind of like, if you think about your, fa- the, the family historian, right. I think of my aunt Janie at every single family event, she's taking photos and she's like documenting everything that happened at the family event. And then she puts them in her little archive in her photo albums. And she kind of takes, you know, keeps track of everybody and everything that happened. You know, the Kashic records are like that. They're just keeping track of all of the things that have happened to you and that will happen to you, and it's it's kind of that simple. And you know how you work with them, how you use them, how you interface with them. That can be all kinds of crazy, different, you know, cornucopia of ways. But but really, it's just a record of everything.
2: Yeah, there's quite a number of different experts that have very varying opinions of the akashic record uh, and and the akashic field. Mm-hmm. The way I would describe it is if you think of God as Unconditional love, which would be symbolized as a zero. If you look at a graph with a sine wave on it, the sine wave always has a positive and a negative cycle, but it begins and ends at zero. So the quantum foam that creates the phenomenon that ultimately becomes subatomic particles, atoms, atoms, and uh, the universe—the the, the stuff of the universe—is um, constantly emanating from and returning back to zero. So if you think of what we have as modern technology that we use for zip files, so you can take a large document and zip it, source is capable of zipping the entire process of the universe down to zero, so when somebody actually has an intention to access the Akashic records, they're interfacing with zero and their intention has a frequency I want to know about paul check or vanessa or what's going to happen in 2024 or 2029 and that basically because you're part of god your soul and your higher self really is sitting right there on the zero line you're accessing the zip file of god's own experience that's just sort of the way i describe it
0: i love that yeah and it's it's almost like you know it's so much information, right? Like it's, it's infinite. We, we can't even understand how much information this is. So in a way, you can think about it as, you know, you're, you're, like you said, the zip file, you're accessing like this reference point, you're accessing this way that you can bring the information in. And it's not so massive that it overwhelms the system because it's been kind of condensed down well enough for you to actually bring it in and work with it. And so I love that idea of a zip file. It's, it's perfect.
2: The quantum zip.
0: The quantum zip. Yeah, I love it.
2: (laughs) You got to, if you want to know more about yourself, you got to pull down God's zipper.
0: Yeah. (laughs) But you know, the thing is, it's like in the end, and this is one of the reasons that I teach the Akashic Records is that what it is for you and how you work with it can mean all kinds of different things. It can take on all different shapes and sizes and forms. And I think that's the really cool thing about having a relationship with the Akashic Records is that- You get to decide what it is for you or how you're meant to interface with it. And it's so much information. It's such this vast, you know, um, just this vast database that like you could work in the Akashic Records and only work with a certain sect or a certain kind of vibration or a certain kind of way that you work with it for lifetimes. And then maybe you change and you grow and you want to work with a different way. Of, the, of accessing the Akashic records and working with it. And so I think that's the cool part about it is that, yes, it's this massive thing, this macro concept, but also you can find a way to work in this micro way that's really beautiful and meaningful for you and isn't so large that you're like, okay, well, what's the point of even trying to access this thing? Because it's just beyond what I can comprehend.
2: Hello, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the podcast. I suspect you've heard me speak about the Czech Academy on my podcast, and I'd love to extend a very special offer we've created for all of you. We created the Czech Academy so that anyone wanting to master a truly holistic approach to living, rehabilitation, strength and conditioning, athlete development, or holistic lifestyle coaching can gain mastery with the guidance and the support of true masters, the Czech Institute, instructors, and mentors. The Czech Academy is ideal for anyone wanting a career change, to enhance their professional skills and meet the demands of the public today, and is a multidisciplinary program. We have doctors and therapists of many types and encourage cross-pollination because none of us has the full range of expertise to handle all the challenges people commonly present with today. We encourage all Czech professionals to network with other experts and to learn and grow by working together for the betterment of all, and particularly the patients and clients. The Czech Academy Open House is an opportunity for anyone interested in the Academy to get a taste of the Academy learning experience. The Open House is free to everyone. The Open House provides seven days of access to the Czech Academy e-learning platform and participants will be able to take select lessons from our online courses, including Integrated Movement Science Level 1 online and Holistic Lifestyle Coaching Level 2 online, preview our Academy-exclusive online workshops, Check out our Academy business assets like package templates, client onboarding checklists, and more. Watch group mentor sessions. Hear from current students about how they're applying what they've learned. You will also receive a free Czech career consultation with Gavin Jennings, CEO of the Czech Institute and co-founder of the Czech Academy, so any questions you have can be answered. You can register for the open house right now, but registration for this event ends on September 22nd, so please don't wait to the last minute. To register for the open house, go to chek.group dot group forward slash open dash house. That's check.group forward slash open dash house. Enjoy your free access to the Czech Academy and feel free to talk to Gavin and get all your questions answered. We'd love to have you. And as you all know, the world needs a lot more holistically skilled, open minded, health and exercise professionals right now and this is your great opportunity to be the best now you're talking about different ways of accessing it there's all sorts of books with meditations and entry techniques i found when i went in there that one it it i think it's partly because of the meditation structure i was using and and they were pre-framing you with imagery
3: Mm-hmm.
2: which included this kind of concept of this vast, vast library. So when I went in there and followed the guidance of the, the um, person that I was, I can't remember what book I was using, but I was guided to a specific place. And then there was this sort of a beautiful, almost like they have Bibles on in churches, you know, like uh, mm-hmm. stands really pretty. And then there was a book and the book just appeared there. Um, when I got there, it just appeared there like magic. And at the time I wasn't, I think I had too much going on in my life, but I could, I could see the pages, but I didn't have the patience at the time or the centeredness to read the, the words on the page. I I could pick up a few words, but I kept having to refocus and refocus. And so my way of getting information is just working through my soul and letting my soul give me visions or talk to me or or whatever way it wants to communicate to me. So why I'm sharing this, I'm curious. What are the different ways that you experience the information when you enter? Like how how is it that you set it up, and what is it that you? How does that information come to you? I spoke about seeing a book, yep. and reading it. But but I would imagine there's multiple ways you could do it what what are some of the ways you know it work and how do you do it
0: Yeah so I I access the records with an Akashic prayer that I was given um and you know I Worked in the Akashic Records for a while, and then at some point, the Akashic Records actually channeled a prayer in and said, like, this is now your access. This is your sound codes. This is how you get in. And so I was given a prayer to access the Akashic field. And typically, at least the way that they've explained it to me, is when you get a prayer that's for you to access, but it's also a prayer that you can teach others to access. So that was kind of the moment where I decided, okay, I can teach and start to show people how to open these um open the records as well. But the way that information comes through in the beginning it was mostly clair, you know, clairvoyance where I would see images.
4: Mm-hmm. And so
0: for the most part it was very visual and I would see, you know, most images flash across the screen of my consciousness and then I would, you know, interpret and work with the Akashic records to kind of figure out what those images meant. Over time, I've developed more of the clairs, as we call them, the Claire sentience, the gustans, the aliens. So now I hear, I taste, I smell, I feel emotion. Um, it's kind of like the colors of the tapestry have filled in. And so I, I receive information in a lot more ways than I did in the beginning. Um, and most people have one or two senses that are stronger in them when they first start working in the records, and then over time, often they'll start to feel these other senses come online as well. And then the last way that I work with them is sometimes it's just channeling. So I'll do scripting where I'll just put pen to paper and you know they'll they'll just kind of download stream of consciousness and I'll channel through to the script you know scripting on the paper the least that I do is the actual like vocal channeling, but I do that sometimes as well where they'll actually bring in sound current, um, And that's the way that they usually bring it in the most is if I'm working with someone and they need a specific sound current. So it could be a specific song. It could be a mantra. It could be even a tonality that they're missing or lacking in their aura that just needs to be offered to them. And so that's the way that I'll channel typically in in terms of like vocal channeling. So yeah, but everyone has a different way and everyone has a different um, experience of what the records are. So for me, it's very similar to you. A lot of times I end up in a library and it looks very much like a big library of information some of my students feel like they don't actually go to a physical place but they can tell energetically in their body and in kind of the subtle field that they've changed locations and so there's all kinds of different ways that you might interpret the experience of the akashic field and and honestly it's it's beautiful it's like it's that's what's the you know the incredible part is you have your own relationship your own language with the akashic field
2: yeah the akashic field is Irvin Laszlo equates it to space,
1: yeah. and
2: so it, it pretty much is everywhere, and it's also correlated to the ether, and not the not the e t h e r that is in our energy field, but a e t h e r, which is the well, according to some of the experts I've studied on ether, it's the first step from pure potential or God consciousness into manifestation. So an ether unit is like a stem cell that can become anything that consciousness wants to be.
0: I love that. So
2: I love that. It's, uh, it's, I'm just asking and, and curious, do you think that the Akashic records are themselves synonymous with or inherent within or or embedded within or enfolded within the Akashic field? Or do you think it's actually something separate?
0: You know, I ponder this and um, it's like Mateus de Stefano, I'm sure you're familiar with him. He talks about the Akashic records being held by eighth dimensional beings and that it's an eighth dimensional kind of experience and, and that might be true. The way that I experience it and the way that, you know, kind of I understand it is that it's this subtle field. It's this subtle energy field. And so I think the ether is a great description for it because it's a subtle energy. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, maybe it might be in the eighth dimension. Maybe that's true. Maybe that's like the, the coordinates of it, so to speak. But to me, it's a subtle energy. It's a subtle frequency. And, you know, the word Akash is literally the space, the ether that's, it's that kind of, you know, primordial stuff Mm -hmm. that all things can come from. And, and so for me, I feel like, you know, however, it makes sense for you. Great. But it's tapping into the subtle frequencies. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a, a way that people can get to it and understand it.
2: Yeah. I don't think I have this in my list of questions to ask you. If I do, and you answer it now, I'll just skip over it later But one of the things I, from my studies of quantum physics, which have been quite extensive because of the importance of that to the understanding of consciousness, is that it's very hard to tell the future with any accuracy because we're all co-creating the future. So in quantum physics, they use the concept of a probability wave. And they say you can only access what's probable at any state in time because of the fact that anytime we make a choice about anything, we can actually shift the probability wave and it could manifest something else. For example, there's a lot of talk uh, by various people like Alex Jones and uh, various others that, that we're likely to have a civil war in the United States. And so if that civil war was say, in the Akashic records to be 10 years from now. But we had a spiritual awakening, like, you know, Robert F. Kennedy becoming president could cause a tr- spiritual awakening in this country. And so all of a sudden now there wouldn't be, the probability wave would change. We would say, hey, we finally have a leader that's got his head on and he's uniting us instead of selling us out to China. and And all of a sudden things can change. So how do you distinguish something factual if if someone asked you to say look in the future and see if i'm going to have cancer or if i'm going to stay married to this man or if i'm going to find the person of my dreams how do you kind of deal with the fact that you can only really deal with what's probable at this moment and not leave that person holding on to something that could be wrong
0: Yeah. And I think that this is probably one of the most delicate situations that you come into as someone who works in the Akashic Records. And I think it's very important that you have a high level of integrity around this. And so the way that I always, you know, I have women who come to me and say, should I leave my husband or like, you know, what, what's, is, is this the person I'm supposed to be with? Or should I, what do you see in the, am I going to have kids? Like all of these things. And, you know, you can certainly say there's some energy held in this way. But there are so many different timelines and there are so many different decision points that could shape the probability, like you said. And so you have to be very, very cautious in making any vast projections into the future for anyone. And so the way that I always work with that is, you know, why don't I I tell the person, why don't you look at the energy and the way is true for you and make the next best decision? And you don't need to, and I think this is a very dangerous thing with the Akashic records as well, is that everyone thinks like, you know, no, they say that Nostradamus actually tapped into the Kashic field, and this is actually how he was able to forecast some of the things that happened and, you know, some of the predictions he made. So, like, you can do that to a certain degree, and you can kind of see, okay, with the direction things are happening, it could be this, like the probability that you were saying, but there's so many different timelines converging and consciousness is shifting so fast right now that to say, okay, in 10 years, we're going to have a civil war is like, we have no idea the way that consciousness is going to shift, the way that um, we as a collective are, gon- are going to in, you know put input into this conscious field to change the direction or the subtle nature of the unfolding. And so I think you just have to be really, really present. With what's true in the moment and share with the person what's true here and not making any any vast projections. The one caveat I'll say to that is that there are often times where spirit babies come in, or you know, babies that want to incarnate with that person. I have two of them. <laughs> yeah, I know you do. <laughs> and so those are things I will share because. Uh, because they're right there in the subtle field. They're right there in, in the very, you know, in proximity to the person. So, you know, if they're there and they're right, like in the room with us, basically, then those are things I will share and I will bring through. But other than that, I really don't go super far into the future and try to make any, you know, sweeping forecasts about people's life. I just think there's too many things that are changing in every moment.
2: I looked into the Akashic records a minute ago and it told me Penny would hand me a fresh smoke and it was right.
0: <laughs> See, you can do it minute by yeah. minute. Minute by minute's great. Yeah. <laughs> I read, Don't go beyond two to three minutes, that's
1: it. <laughs>
2: I, I read an article by somebody who was either a quantum physicist or very skilled in quantum physics. It might've even been Fred Allen Wolf in one of his books. But he gave the example that because of the environment wherein you can't make predictions like Nostradamus did anymore, and one of the reasons I think that's the case is because now we have the internet and we can know who farted in Africa at the speed of light. So before when Nostradamus was making predictions, communications moved very slowly. The probability wave wasn't near as populated Uh, you know there wasn't as many people on the planet things weren't buzzing so intensely but now with the internet you've got I mean we know what's going on everywhere I mean you can find out what's going on You, you can literally call somebody in Russia and say I just heard this on the news is this true is this really happening and they'll tell you yes or no and unfortunately a lot of it's no because of all the bullshit but I think that the probability wave is now so much more jacked up with information. In his book, uh, Robert O. Becker, The Body Electric, he says mm-hmm. that, I think that book was written about 92 and maybe right around 92, 95, 96, somewhere in there. But he said in that, at that time, largely due to cell phones and the internet, and social media and television or whatever we had for going on then, which wouldn't be anything like now. He said that the average person today experiences more information in 24 hours than somebody 100 years ago processed in their entire life. So when you consider that book was written in 90-something, now things are way faster, that you can see that the flow of information and people are so trapped in their heads now. You know, they're not, you know, when Nostradamus was around, you know, people were killing their own chickens in their backyard and raising their own food and life was you know, riding horses and things were a lot slower. So
3: mm-hmm. I think it
2: would have been easier because there's more likelihood that somebody's going to repeat the same behaviors and the same patterns when they have a lot less inputs.
0: Yeah, there was a steadiness in the subtle nature of things, right? And 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 that just, you know, for better or for worse, we just don't have that same kind of steadiness. We have way more information and you know, the astrologists, the yogis, the hippies, they all talk about this age of Aquarius. Yeah. And the age of Aquarius is the age of information. I mean, and and that is truly the age we're in. We are inundated. We are, uh, you know, having to process, like you said, more information than ever. And, you know, it's beautiful on one hand, because that is what's up leveling this whole game. This whole earth game is that all of a sudden we're becoming incredible. We have incredible processing power, but at the same time to make, you know, sweeping projections, it's just, it's not the same as it was. Yeah. It's just, it's a much different energy field that we're living in.
2: I know, you know, I have my own theories on this question, but I want to ask it for the audience. Who is, who is it that's keeping the Akashic records? Who uses them and for what purpose?
0: Yeah, you know, and again, I'll, I'll just mention that some people believe it's these eighth dimensional beings. The way that they explain it to me and the way that they show it to me is that they are literally these light bodies, these beautiful light bodies of consciousness that hold, the Akashic records, and uh, it's it's really cute because in the visual that they give me is like they're these little, um, almost like these little light workers, and they hold it as a service. They hold it as a devotional service to consciousness, and if you think about that, it's so beautiful because you know we all have a destiny, right? And so these light bodies have like stepped into a destiny path of holding. The field of consciousness that is the Akash, and I, you know, the, that's the way that they explained it to me, and the way that feels good in my body around how this thing exists.
2: Yeah, I mean, you, you know, Plotinus speaks of the world soul, but Plotinus used the world "world" the way we use the world word "universe," and just like we have, you know, a soul of the Earth, Gaia, for examples, the consciousness of the Earth, and a living being with, with its own life process, its own evolution, its own awakening and becoming, which we're all part of, it would seem to me that the universal soul would contain its own experience and its own memory just like any soul does. Because that's without that, you don't have any evolution. You'd just be an Alzheimer's patient.
0: Yeah, 100%. And it's like... You know, we instinctively understand that history has value, that, you know, where we came from, where we're going has value, right? So why wouldn't the universe understand that about itself? Why wouldn't it be um, interested in keeping records of its development, of, of its experience? And so, yeah, it's like it's this, this universal thing to want to keep the integrity of, of the experience of itself
2: yeah that seems logical to me you know if you look at Rupert Sheldrake's work on morphogenic fields and you look at what's called Waddington's Creode which shows he gives the example that Einstein gave how space bends around heavy objects like the earth or anything really but and it shows The the example given is like if you take a sheet of rubber and put a, say, a steel ball in it, it'll bend the sheet of rubber. And so Waddington's creode shows like a valley with a ball rolling through it. And he says that the universe has habits. And so the example is as the ball's rolling through, it's creating an impression in space And so things have a tendency to flow like water flows through a creek or gravity always finds the path of least resistance. So the universe has these habits. You know, we know the universe has a habit of creating galaxies. We know the universe has a habit of creating round things like stars and planets and asteroids and all these other things out there. We know the universe has a habit of making life because here we all are. We know, the universe has a habit of gravity and and the four forces of, of physics. So it seems to me that the Akashic record would be almost like the unconscious mind of the universe that holds the habits by which it creates. You know, when if you were to get pregnant, for example, you would have no idea consciously how that baby's being formed inside of you. I mean, you could, right. you could read science books, but, you know, there's a lot more that science doesn't know. I mean, all you got to do is look at the different opinions on, um, you know, at what point a a child becomes affected by its environment. And, and, you know, most materialists don't think it has anything at all to do with what's in the womb. But then you get someone like Rudolf Steiner, and he'll tell you it begins being affected from the moment the sperm meets the egg.
0: Yeah, or even before. (laughs) Well, (laughs) I mean, there's there's plenty of,
2: plenty of reasons for that. Yes.
0: Yeah. (laughs) I mean, it it becomes affected from the thought form that starts to summon it in, right? Like there, you know, there's, there's, yeah, there's so many. And I was going to just add that, you know, the, the universe has a habit of moving from darkness to light and back again. And I think that that is, you know, one of the things that, is interesting about the Akashic Records is that, it, it yeah, it's capturing that kind of pendulum of experience. And it, it's been explained to me that way before, where it's like, you know, the, the universe is almost sweeping like a pendulum from side to side, from darkness to light and gathering information and then becoming a bit more expanded on each round and and gathering a bit more Um, energy and experience in each of those processes. And so, yeah, of course, you know, we want to have a record of that. We want to have some kind of way to consolidate and organize that the same way we want to organize the files on our computer or anything else. Like we, we just, it's innate in all of us to just want to make meaning of it somehow, or, or make structure of it somehow.
2: Yeah. Have you studied any of Walter Russell's work at all? No. Oh my God. You'd find him mind blowing.
0: Oh really? Okay. Yeah. What's his deal?
2: Everything, but um,
0: <laughs> what is it? His deal? He's
2: he's <laughs> he's gone now. Um, but he wrote several very books, some extremely deep books. You, you, I think you'd find his book, "The Secret of Light," okay. very powerful. Mm, um, I love that. There's a place that has all of his works. That's uh, an organization run by a friend of mine named Joey Korn, it's uh, dowsers, I think it's dowsers.com. And he's got all the Walter Russell. But If you just went on um, any search engine and searched Walter Russell and looked at images, the reason you made me think of it is because one of the examples he gives of how the whole universe creates itself and how time is created is he shows a a symbol which represents zero, which is unconditional love or God-consciousness with a pendulum swinging back and forth exactly yep. how you just described it.
0: Yeah, that's that's a uh, I mean that's a description that they gave me. And it's interesting because I have found since working in the Akashic records I actually read less books um because I really love learning from the source and then n- sometimes not being kind of preloaded with other mm-hmm. people's ideologies or expertise and kind of getting it clean. And so over the years I've found that like when I have questions, the first place I go to is the Koshik records. Like what, what is this thing or why am I thinking this thought or what, how can you show me a way to think about this or a way to know about this? And so I've, kind of in a strange way, as much as I love knowledge and I love reading, it's like in a strange way I found that it's almost more beautiful to come to this source and and start to bring it in straight from, you know, straight from the source, so to speak. So I love that you said that, you know, that author reiterated that because I think, you know, many people who are writing many artists many authors they're tapping into aspects of this consciousness and we're we're getting downloads we're getting spark of information about how to explain these things and all of this whether you realize it or not is from the subtle field is from this subtle energy body and so it's if we can just learn to kind of attune to it just like the antenna you know kind of shift it around and be like okay help me bring this information in so that I can know it for myself it's just so beautiful
2: yeah, the way I do it is slightly different. I have a lot of visions. Okay. And so when I'm working on things, like maybe I'm writing a chapter on the soul, and I'll say to my soul, um, What do you want me to write about specifically? Or, you know, that might be different than what I already have in my outline or what I've planned to write. Or I could be in a plant medicine ceremony and, and begin having downloads, which happens. Sometimes I'm writing as fast as I can write for a whole journey.
3: <laughs> Everyone else is
2: laying there going, oh my God, how can you write right now? I'm like, well, you know, you're, what's up. you're doing this for a different reason than I am. But yeah. um,
4: so I what
2: what happens is I get visions and they're not just visual they're they i can i can also be have beings come to me uh, yeah. whether they be uh people that have lived on the planet before like Plotinus or plato or uh anybody jung steiner anyone and they will talk to me and say well you know it's important for you to know about this or they'll show me a new way of doing some kind of healing technique for somebody that might be coming my way or And then what I'll do is I'll say, okay, this is quite a revolutionary way of looking at this. I wonder if anybody else has thought of it this way. So then I'll say to my soul, are there any books in my library that talk about this? And quite often there is because I have a lot of books. But if there's not, then I'll I'll go on the internet and I'll search, you know, um, whatever, whatever it is. And inevitably I'll find somebody who wrote about this concept and it might have been 50 or 90 or 100 or 400 years ago or it might have been last week and then I'll look at it and say okay how does this correlate with what I saw and then I get some sense of confirmation uh that that it is in the field I like that because especially when you're on plant medicines you can get so much information from so many different sources I'm always hesitant Uh, because i don't want to i found through years and years of plant medicine work that you can get these very profound visions and intuitions and insights that seem very very real but then when you come back and get grounded and revisit them it's almost like maybe that's real but it's real in a different dimension and it won't really work here very well
0: I feel you. This happened to me once when I was positive I was going to adopt a child from Syria.
2: (laughs) Right, (laughs) yeah,
0: something like that. And I was like – I, I have to adopt this child. I'm going to go find him. Well, it turns out the child was actually happily living with his parents. So they didn't <laughs> necessarily want me to adopt him. So I yeah, 100%. And I actually love that you said that because one of the things I'll do with Akashic Records is if I am getting a certain download, but it's just taking a while to consolidate. And it's like, I'm not really sure on what it's saying. I will do the exact same thing. I'll say, is there a reference I can go look at? that will share this and they'll often give me like they've given me google straight google search terms like this is what you search these are the you know the three words you search and bada-boom, bada-bing, it'll bring me right to that information. So I love that because, you know, really what we're talking about is working in the practical and the magical, right? Yeah. It's like we're we're using the magic of these incredible teachers that we have access to, and then we're using the practical energy of what we exist in in this time and place in planet Earth. And that's how we should be doing it. We should be integrating all this stuff. It's, it's awesome.
2: Yeah. See, the, the reason I mention that is because – If I went to the Akashic Records, um, particularly because I don't spend a lot of time practicing that approach, I use my soul as the access point to anything, simply because the soul is emergent of God itself, so it carries God in it. We all have that in us, right? People keep looking for God. I'm like, well... (laughs) (laughs) Look in the mirror. (laughs) You don't have to go very far. You're
0: the one you've been waiting for.
2: You're the message.
0: Yeah, you're the, yeah. Uh, yeah. You're the you proof. Well, and it's funny you say that. You ask your soul because really the Akashic records are the record of your soul. So I mean, yeah. it's like tomato, tomato. Honestly, you know, it's like I think we're all kind of just you're, you're accessing the subtle nature of the information of your soul. It's it, you know, I feel like it's it's similar. They're kissing cousins, if not exactly the same thing, just na- name differently.
2: Yeah, I see the point I'm making is just because the concept of the Akashic Records is the memory of the universe, the history of everything that's ever happened, everybody's lives, everything that was and is and could possibly be. Um, I mean, if God is infinite, then everything's possible. And God is infinite. That's why people have such a hard time with God, because a mind has to chop shit into pieces to have a context. So people keep telling us all these ideas about what God wants and what God is. And I'm like, well, you know, I got news for you. You've anthropomorphized God into some old man in the sky. And that is not what God is at all. Yes. And, you know, it's just its <laughs> like it's, it makes me feel sorry for people. But the point is the infinity of God really, in my experience, is doing everything at once. So every, there is there isn't a past, present, and future in God. There's an isness, and everything is happening at once. Um, Absolutely. There's, a, there's an old saying that God created time so that everything wouldn't happen at the same time. <laughs> Otherwise, you'd have no experience, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and that's just us in this dimension, right? We've decided to be in the time dimension because it gives us some context for things. And yeah.
2: Uh, well, there's another reason as well, because you see, without time consciousness has three prerequisites space time and movement if you don't have space you can't experience yourself right if if you and i were in the exact same space i'd be playing with my boobs all the time and i wouldn't get anything done (laughs) you know and kissing myself uh, and, and very with my beauty but (laughs) but you see you have to have movement because without movement you cannot have an experience and without movement there is no time so you have to have space time and movement because those three are what it takes to create an experience of something and why that's so important is because god could not possibly know if all the knowledge or information god has in the mind of god is true Without experiencing it. I mean, how many times have somebody told you something's true and then you tried it and it didn't work at all? Like, take this pill and you'll be slim forever. Oh, that's bullshit. It didn't work. Or this will get rid of your cancer. It didn't work. The point I'm making is God cannot possibly know itself without experience. So you know, people like to think God is perfect. I say, well, if God was perfect, then there would be no movement because you can't improve on perfection, there would be nothing happening. There wouldn't even be a universe. There'd be nothing because how do you make perfection better? Mm
3: -hmm.
2: So the analogy I give my students to help them understand this, I say, look, if you took a baseball bat and you could stand it perfectly on one end, like vertically, could you imagine that there's forces acting on it equally from any direction and that's what's holding it up? In other words, gravity, for example, is acting equally in all directions. Gravity is not coming from one direction.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So the point is, is that if you blow on that bat, it'll fall over because now there's a unilateral force which creates time, right? There's, there's now the bat's having an experience of falling and hitting the floor. The point being is, is that God has inf- infinite knowledge Infinite processing power, infinite amounts of information. But look at all the things that we learn in school: reading articles, uh, writing a thesis, whatever it is. But unless you actually go test all that, you, you just you don't even know if it's true. It's just something somebody else tells you, right? This vaccine will stop you from getting COVID. Really? Well. Whenever people would tell me I need to get vaccinated and well, you know, my mother or whoever was pressuring me, which was a <laughs> lot of people, I would say, do you believe in science? And they all said, yes. And I said, well, good, because guess what? You can't have a good scientific experiment without a control group. And I'm the control group. <laughs> You're welcome. <So> I'm super <laughs> glad you've enrolled yourself into the experiment. Let me know how it works out for you. I'm going to be watching very carefully as a scientist. I love that. the, the, The point I'm driving at is that if God knows everything, you can't really know something until you've experienced it. And experience always comes with trial and error. Things work, things don't. Some planets don't create life and some do. So that experience in time actually is what it takes to produce wisdom. And wisdom is the reflection of what is true. Mm. You understand that? Wisdom is Mm -hmm. is the reflection of truth. Somebody that's wise knows the truth about what they're wise about.
3: Mm -hmm.
2: That's why when you're in trouble, you want to find a wise man or a wise woman to help you. Why? Because they've got enough life experience and a deep enough anchor in common sense to know whether you're bullshitting yourself or being bullshitted. So the point that I'm making is, God has to check all of its ideas in reality, and the reality is consciousness, which requires space, time, and movement, and it's only through that experience that God can actually come to truly know itself. Otherwise, God would be like somebody walking around saying, I'm a king, I'm a king, Mm -hmm. not really knowing if it's true or not, or saying, I'm a prostitute, or I'm poor, or I'm broken, But without experience, God wouldn't know what it means to be a king, a prostitute, or broken. So what does God do? God says, ah, I have all these potentials in me. We call them archetypes. I'm going to go be a mother. I'm going to go be a father. I'm going to be a good guy. I'm going to be a bad guy. I'm going to be a George Soros. I'm going to be a Bill Gates and really throw some shit out there and see what it's like to live (laughs) through that. And it'll certainly really remind me what the good really is and what the truth really is. So I think that the whole thing that we're talking about, the Akashic Records, is really a record of God's proving grounds of its own experience so that God actually can create wisdom. Therefore, the Akashic Records in the present and the past would be the wisdom of God's own life process, which is its own enlightenment. Hi, everybody. I hope you're enjoying the show. I imagine you know that magnesium is one of the minerals that people in North America are the most efficient in, but it's an extremely important mineral to have in your diet regularly. And believe it or not, Bioptimizers has improved what was already well known to be the best magnesium formula out there called Magnesium Breakthrough, So I've got Wade Lightheart with me to explain what it is they've done to improve this already excellent formula. Wade, what is new about your new MEG Breakthrough Formula?
4: Well, it's called sucrosomial magnesium. So we have seven different types of magnesium in magnesium breakthrough because they're uptaken by different parts of the body. But a new type of magnesium has been created called sucrosomial. And what it shows in the research and science is that it's actually even more absorbable by the body, particularly inside of the brain, which is a big aspect uh, to enhance neurotransmitter formation, as well as ensuring the rest and relax response in the nervous system that a lot of people will take magnesium for. They find it you know, clocks them down, helps them sleep better, allows for the relaxation of striated and smooth muscle tissue in the body, which creates an energetic relief. And so when we added sucrosomial, we were able to demonstrate inside our lab facility that we were able to get better improvements. Of course, we have a partnership with the Birch International University. We have some patents we're working on, uh, which will Kind of relay some of these things, but sucrosomial was a no brainer when we added to the formula, improved the results or improved the uptake, and the reports back from our testing team were like, Wow, this we get more results with less caps, and that's always the goal for our company
2: that's excellent. I love it i I always say, and people have probably heard me say it before I just am so amazed how you guys are constantly and always improving and working your best to not only make better products for us but it doesn't seem to me that it gets more expensive as you make them better. So that's a
4: real gift to the world. Thank you. Where can people get their new magnesium breakthrough formula? All you need to do is go to www.magbreakthrough.com slash living4d, put in Paul 10, get 10% discount on your first bottle. And of course, if you order multiple bottles, you can get an extensive discount on that as well. And like everything else, we sell 365 day money back guarantee. If this isn't the best magnesium you've ever taken in your life, we demand that you tell us and we can give you your money back. But I think you're probably going to demand, hey, can I get more of this?
2: (laughs) That's probably more the truth. So that's mag, M-A-G, breakthrough.com forward slash living number four. And then the letter D code Paul 10. Enjoy deeper relaxation and better nutrition with Mag Breakthrough.
0: What you're explaining is almost a macro of the micro that you experience when you work in the Akashic Records and you start to understand it. Because ultimately, it's the this is the number one reason I love for people to understand how to work in the Akashic Records and to access it. Because you can be told something, right? For instance, I'll use a, uh, an example here. I work with mantra. I'm a Kundalini yoga teacher, and the ma- I'm told the mantras are for X, Y, and Z. This mantra is if you um, need healing. This mantra is if you're in trouble and you, ha- you have an emergency and you need you know immediate help. This mantra is for making more money, right? And you're told that, and as a student, you take that in and you say, "Oh, that's what this A, B, and C mantra are about." You go into the akashic records and you have an experience. Of that either being true or not. And so you're getting to test, like you're saying here, God testing itself. It's the same way in the Akashic Records. You're getting to test your experience of knowing, is this mantra actually for healing? How do I experience it when I run it through, when I listen to it in the subtle nature of this experience? is that the truth that i'm receiving and my test and when I test it against what I've been told, is it true for me and this is why I love the akashic Records so much is that you get to test for yourself what is true
2: yeah, interesting stuff so cool it's, it's so cool well, you know <laughs> when you the more time you really honestly spend working on having a relationship with god the more you realize as crazy as god is and as wild as god is it is all like so absolutely mind-blowingly phenomenal i mean i i look Unreal. at my, i look at my my children and just how beautiful they are and how amazing they are and you know i look at my home you know i worked my whole life to be here it's like i I've said to Penny and Angie, if I would have known this is where I was going to end up when I was in my late 50s, it would have made the pain of everything I had to work through to get here a lot easier to Mm. navigate because I would have been able to see the kind of the fruit would be growing on the tree, the finish line. You know, it's like when you're running a marathon, once you see the finish line, no matter how tired you are, all of a sudden you know you can make it yeah you know <laughs> so when i got here it was like such a mind-blowing experience to be here that i very emotional but i i said well you know i was speaking to god just like you know in in the air just saying you know well, god i wish you would have let me know that that this is where we were headed it sure <laughs> would have made it a lot easier and the answer that came back it says yeah but it would have took the surprise out of it look how <laughs> Look how, su- <laughs> how su- surprised and excited you are right now. If I told <laughs> totally. you what was in your birthday present, there'd be no fun unwrapping it.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I love that mm-hmm. you use the word God because God has been, in a lot of ways, the word, the sound current,
3: mm-hmm. has
0: been, you know, kind of... Uh, stolen from a lot of people, and it's been stolen from them because they have some negative connotation with church or what somebody else made God mean in their lifetime. And I love that you're using it because it's a very powerful sound current and it's a mantra. And in the yogic teachings, it means generate, organize, deliver, or destroy, kind of depending on what phase you're in. And so You know, it's just really beautiful to hear the sound current because it's it's literally a mantra of the generating, organizing, delivering force, which is God, which is the nature of God. And so, I guess I'm just saying that if anyone out there um, has a thing around the word God, I encourage people to take that sound current back and make it beautiful again because it's actually a very, very powerful mantra, and the sound current itself carries a lot of uh, of activation.
2: Yeah, you know, I'm going to address that just because you've opened the door for an opportunity here. God has a lot of baggage um, (laughs) in people's (laughs) minds, Mm -hmm. but they're not really, I'm not talking about the same God that those people are. So the way I do it and how I address this in my new book series called Spirit Gem is I give clear definitions. So little God you know, like a pagan god, I define as any sentient being capable of changing its environment. And that's what a god is. It's a being that's capable of changing its environment. Capital G, little o-d, the god of religions, that's the highest power in any belief system. Mm -hmm. That's where all the troubles are. Because... The highest power in any belief system becomes somebody's daddy figure that pushes you around and tells you you're not allowed to play with your genitals and you got to follow all these rules or you're going to burn in hell. And then you go over and study Buddhism and they don't have a God because it causes so much trouble, but they obviously believe the everything came from somewhere. So they just play another game with it. So you get all, and this, by the way, leads right to my next question. So you get all this ideology and god becomes the power source of an ideology but it's really really classically what's called an egregore which is a thought form and that's why you have a isn't it funny we have the abrahamic religions three religions all from abraham all of which believe in monotheism but all of which war with each other about the rules of god and what god is and fight like hell and you have 45,000 branches of Christianity now within one religion, you got 45,000. So there you go. You see, it keeps fracturing into ideologies, which is ultimately an ism or a cult. It's a belief system. So the God I worship is capital G, capital O, capital D, and it means that for which there is no other, Prime source, Mm. unconditional love, that which is experienceable but unknowable. Because the instant you start telling anybody what that God is or does or doesn't do, you've already fallen into a belief system.
0: Yeah, I love it.
2: And the beauty of that is it totally depends on your own intimate relationship with God and it doesn't matter what anybody else says, and you'll know it's really God, because it'll always support you and inspire you, and it won't add to guilt, shame and a dysfunctional parental relationship.
0: Mm. I, you know, and, and the only thing I would add about the God force is that, you know the way it's been explained to me and, and that really resonated was that God is the ultimate creator.
2: You know, well, that's why and, I say that for which there is no other.
0: Yeah. And and when they say, you know, the Bible says you're made in the image of God, I always think because you yourself are a creator as well. You are an old, that, that is what we're here to do is create and experience ourselves in the same way that you explain yeah. God experiences itself through the creation process and the testing and the experiencing of it.
2: Yes. And this is why Lao Tzu says, the Tao that can be spoken is not the eternal Tao. Mm-hmm. You cannot speak about the eternal Tao. There's no way to describe it. He says it's older than... It's, it's deeper than deep. It's blacker than black. It's older than God. Mm. So there you go. The eternal Tao is blacker than black, deeper than deep. It's older than God. What is mm-hmm. he saying? The real God... The unspoken Tao is infinitely beyond any idea that you could call God, and that's what I'm speaking to when I'm talking to God. Yeah, a thousand percent. I, and I, I, th- yeah. I find all the other gods are very problematic, and <laughs> most yeah. of them are full of Luciferic and Aromonic and, and evil tricksters.
0: A- agreed, and I think that the the point I was making was that sometimes people relinquish the word God. Because of all of that uh, attachment to that stuff you're talking about, and it's so beautiful to hear the sound current of it because it's it has a generating force, the actual word of God, the sound of of the word God. And so I think it's just really beautiful to hear it and to be to have a relationship with the sound current of it that's not in a negative space or co-opted into some old, you know paradigm.
2: I agree. You're you're very right. A lot of people do relinquish the word God and the concept of God because of all the shit that's happened in the name of God. Yep. And the name for those people is atheists, sometimes agnostics. But the problem is, and this is sad in my opinion, the problem is, is that they have actually fallen into the trap of believing that that actually represents God, and therefore they actually reject the concept or the truth of God based on somebody else's dogma instead of going deeper into their own relationship with whatever they want to call it by whatever name, the great mystery, the Tao, the unmoved mover, Wei Wu Wei, Wu Chi, however you want to go at it, Wonkin Tonkin, great spirit, rum, rum, rum And so my point is the the sad part of it is, is that they get such a, negative reaction in fact i've seen research showing that the number one correlating factor amongst studies of atheists is that they have a high percentage of having problems with their own fathers so they're they're having an uh, unconscious reflex against daddy figures and since all the gods of religion are all male gods and they're controlling and domineering and dot 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 so they're actually rejecting an ideology, but not realizing it's just an idea and a belief system and you shouldn't, well, uh, you could do whatever you want, but it it wouldn't be, I think it would hamper one's spiritual development because now you're just left with matter Mm -hmm. and you're just left with big empty questions in your head. And it's really hard to make meaning when you don't understand your own source, which is why, Somebody that's an orphan and doesn't know its parents lives its life constantly, perpetually wanting to know who its parents are because it doesn't know its roots. It's like a tree that's been just cut off from its roots. So when I work with people like that, I try to introduce them to the real concept of God and say, call it whatever you want, but the fastest way to access it is through love and and the intention to live and love fully, and then you get to begin having a real relationship with God, and you get exposed to the mystery, and you find out through the experience of the mystery that all this God talk, most of it's just mind control games that are developed by people that have lots of tricks up their sleeve, and this is where the saying, the devil's favorite place to hide is in the church comes from, because it's just overly true
0: yeah i i mean I couldn't agree more like honestly I just feel and I also feel there's just such a great sadness in not knowing that having that touch point with that connection you know just whatever it is just having that connection to something something infinite something meaningful i mean I just feel like a lot of people that I've known over the years that don't have that touch point it's It's a very sad place to be like they, you know, they don't, they don't have a sense of something bigger than them, something beyond this. And so it puts a lot of pressure on this moment to be really, really perfect because if this moment isn't perfect, what the hell else is there? But when you know that there's something greater than this, you depressurize the moment.
2: It also makes the concept of death very scary because Absolutely. for most atheists, the concept of death is screened to go black. It's like someone pulled the plug on your computer and you got nothing. But when you really develop a relationship with God, you realize that the source of you is infinite and therefore you yourself in your essence must be infinite because you are that expressing itself as you. So the for me instead of being afraid about death, I'm like, Oh, wow. You know, the older I get, the more I'm kind of, you know, if I didn't have my kids, I'd say, okay, I'm ready. Let me see. Cause I'm, you know, I'm, I've looked under every nook and cranny around here <laughs> I need to see what the hell else she got up your sleeve. A little, Listen, yeah, man. a little curious, right? Give me, give me some more magic, baby. I'm ready to shed this skin bag and fly. But <laughs> yep. once my kids came along, I said, okay, okay, I take it back. I'll I gotta hang here. out. I'll stay <laughs> for a while. I gotta make sure these kids are ready for Bill Gates and all these assholes. <laughs> Sorry, gar- sorry for calling you an asshole, God.
3: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that version of you, you know, it's, it's hard to yeah. stomach sometimes. <laughs> yeah,
2: I understand it, but boy, it, it is. Sometimes it's just a deeper shamanic journey that I want to have to have every day. (laughs) Exactly. I don't want to have that one. (laughs) Can we just pretend for a while that we're enlightened and we don't need all this shit anymore?
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. But it's kind of like what you said before, right? If you knew what was going to happen, where you were going to end up, the state that you got to, and that was so enjoyable and lovely, you know, it wouldn't have been as exciting at the end if you didn't have all the Bill Gates in the middle, right?
2: <laughs> yeah, 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 you know. Nobody, nobody tells a better story than God. In fact, one of the definitions of myth that's very powerful, a myth is a story that tells itself. Mm. And if God's not the ultimate myth, that's the story that's telling itself, then nothing is.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well said, Yeah. <laughs> And then, and this is where you just, there's so many opportunities to just be in the most fascination with this thing, God. It's like, and the more you look to it, the more you can see just opportunity to be so enamored by the whole thing of it. It's just so incredible. Mm -hmm. And like you said before, it's beyond anything that we can comprehend. And it's just, it's just so incredibly beautiful. And I think that's why it's so wonderful to be connected to it, is that it allows you to be connected to magic again. It allows you to be connected to infinite
2: experience. God is a beautiful disaster.
0: <laughs> I think there's a song. <laughs> it's like a one is more set or something.
2: <laughs> it
0: sounds like a song title. I don't know.
2: <laughs> I don't know, but you know, it's like, you know, just think of love, right? You, you fall in love with someone, you have the greatest sex of your life, and you think, oh, I'm going to be happy forever after. And then two years later, you're like, this person drives me goddamn crazy. <laughs> you know, and, and everybody else is looking at them, and that's why they say not 10 feet from every beautiful woman is a man that's tired of having sex with them. You know, <laughs> so the, 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 the point I'm making is everything about God is a paradox, this yes. is why Osho said, if you can't handle a paradox, you'll never understand God. And there's the, the reason I said the beautiful disaster, because a disaster is never beautiful. <laughs> it's a disaster. <laughs> but, but God's beautiful in, in the disaster because the disaster is always the unfolding of something much more interesting. You just got to be brave enough to wait to get there, you know, work your way through it. Like a deep shamanic journey. Enter Bill Gates. <laughs> and, and the rest of them, right? Yes. All of them. Yeah. You know, there's people that think I'm evil too. So I'm probably right up there with Bill Gates, you know?
0: I mean, the polarity is in every experience, right? It's in every situation. That's, that, that's what we can count on here on earth.
2: <laughs> well, you can't have consciousness without it. So, yeah. um, you know, it's inherent. You, you, you know, Consciousness itself requires a subject-object duality. Right. If I'm not the subject while I'm listening to you, the object of my awareness, then I, I would never be able to receive you. Yeah. If it was object, object, it would just be a clash, mm-hmm. like two cars banging into each other. So that which is perceiving is always the subject, and that which is being perceived is always the object. So there's always the receptive, the feminine principle inside of us, the listener, the perceiver, but there's always the masculine principle of what we're perceiving. And consciousness can't gather information or create information or experience without that duality. And so that, you you know, you you can experience God beyond that as a non-dual experience. The problem is there's nothing you can say about it because subject and object become one. So you can only describe what happens on the way in and on the way out. Which can be quite magnificent as well, because on the way into a non-dual experience, you lose your sense of self and identity, so you have a death experience. And on the way out, you go, holy fuck, I'm alive.
0: (laughs) cool. (laughs) Yeah, I've had a few of those.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Sounds familiar. (laughs) That's why whenever people try to tell me what was happening in their non-dual experience, I say, I don't think you really understand what you're talking about. (laughs) Uh. I think you're talking about a fantasy you've been having.
0: Well, it's interesting because, you know, the yogis, right, their whole thing is about finding neutrality, but it's not about denying the polarity. It's about dancing between the polarity and understanding the magic of both and, and, and being an alchemist with it, right? L- a little positive, a little negative. How do I want to mix this together? What do I want to make it mean to me? Where, where can I find the place where this all fits for me to work for me? And to not be so pegged on one side or the other that I don't know how, I don't know which way to get out of this thing because I'm just so tacked into that experience. And yeah. so, you know, the, the yogi, the masterful yogi learns how to be in this, learns how to be in that polarity with grace and, and with trying to find some sense of neutrality, which may be, you know, not denying the two, but blending them and being with it all.
2: A good example that uh, piggybacks on what you're saying is, are you familiar with Dr. Dan Siegel and all his writings on the mind? Yes. So, you know, he talks about the mind like a river and he says one bank is rigidity and the other bank is chaos. And the best place to be in the river of mind is in the middle. So you're not stuck in rigidity, you're not stuck in chaos, but you're able to actually perceive and um, make use of both of them at the right time in the right way. I mean, chaos is always what precedes change. So if you get rid of chaos, there's no change. And if you are living in rigidity, you've got no change. So it's like the two banks of the river need each other to create the middle or there's no stream of consciousness.
0: I so, love that definition, yeah.
2: And I think that's what it, what it means to to grow up is to be able to be brave enough to sit in the middle and not get so quickly pulled into an opinion or quickly pulled into being scared to death or whatever you you say okay let me just ride this out which is what jung calls holding the tension of the opposites but you have to have enough life experience to know that most of the times when we think we're scared to death or something terrible is going to happen it never happens but we just get in the habit of telling ourselves it's going to happen
0: yeah and i think it takes a certain level of energy you know and i think this is you know one of the reasons i fell in love with kundalini yoga is that it gave you the energy to be able to hold that neutrality to to be in the river and to not drown right like it yeah. it gave you the space because you know when when you don't have the energy when you don't you don't have the spiritual fitness You know, you want to go cling to that bank for dear life because you're like, man, I'm swimming here and this rapids really fast and I don't know what, you know, which bank I'm gonna bounce off next. And you know, can be it can be a lot of energy. And so I think this is the thing is that you have to have this is why we have practices, practices to hold the energy so we can balance ourselves in that Mm -hmm. flow.
2: It's totally true. I'm often asked by people, Paul, why do you put all the effort into being as strong as you are? And I'm, you know, I'm I'll be 62 in August, so I, I don't work quite so hard as anymore. But I used to say, look, I work my mind so hard that if I don't have a body that's as strong as my mind, my mind will actually kill my body. Mm-hmm. And I've worked with countless patients who have just destroyed their body with their mind. You know, you get people that think themselves literally into exhaustion or into anxiety and panic attacks. And or you get mathematicians that think themselves to death trying to solve some complex mathematical problems. I mean, I've studied the biography of about 150 people and many of them practically killed themselves with their mind. Mm. So if your body isn't strong enough to hold your mind and you don't have enough energy, then, then your mind can actually just dismantle you.
0: I, oh my gosh, I so agree. And you know, this is one of the things when you start to move into the upper chakras, right? You start to, you know, you pass through the heart and you start kind of living in that upper dimension of yourself. It's very, very tempting to sort of forget the lower dimension and forget the lower three chakras. You're like, ah, I'm done with those. I've surpassed those. But you're absolutely right. They're the bottom triangle. They're the support system. And if you don't have those online and functioning and super powerful then yeah, I think of Steve Jobs right now. When you say that, you know, it's like, yeah, there's a
2: good example. Mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's just someone that like forgot about the physical form, and I feel like I did that at one point um, in my life, and it, you know, it landed me in the hospital and into a near death experience. So it's like it's a real thing when you're just ramping up the spiritual power and you're ramping up the energetic force field of the upper dimensions, but you don't bring the lower triangle with you. It can be, yeah, it's a recipe for disaster.
2: I'm sure most of you are aware, even though you may not like the taste of organs, that organ meats are extremely important and good for you. And I've got great news for you. Paleo Valley makes an amazing grass-fed organ complex that's unique and better than anything I've ever found out there. So much better. I wanted you to hear right from Autumn Smith, its creator, exactly what you're going to get from their grass-fed organ complex. Autumn, get us informed on why we should be using your amazing organ complex.
0: Okay. Well, like you said, organ meats are nature's multivitamins. And when we use them, we feel this energy and this stamina. And most people don't like the flavor. So what we did was we took grass-fed and finished organs like liver and heart and kidney, and we just put them into capsules so that you can get all the benefits, the beautiful benefits of organ meats without actually having to taste them, without liver burps, of course. And they're just freeze-dried. So again, they're not processed heavily in any way whatsoever, and they are sourced from American farmers using regenerative agricultural practices, and I sincerely hope you love it.
2: Save 15% on your Paleo Valley organ complex by going to paleovalley.com forward slash C-H-E-K 15. That's P-A-L-E-O valley.com forward slash C-H-E-K 15. No promo code is required. All this talk about God actually fed, feeds right into my next question, which is, it seems highly probable that any individual reading the Akashic Records um, and their interpretation of what they're reading would be influenced by such factors relig- as religion or belief or belief systems that they subscribe to, any unresolved traumas they could be carrying, and what their intention for reading them is, I know, for example, that there often isn't a consensus of what the Akashic records say about individuals or events because of the differences in readers. And a good example is you can go to five tarot card readers or five psychics with the same problem get five completely different responses. So I'm curious, how how important are these factors and how do you, as an Akashic reader, get around these biases in yourself?
0: Well, first of all, say this is why I want everybody to learn to read their own Akashic records, mm-hmm. because you take one more person out of the chain of command, right? Because yeah. it's now it's you and your records, which obviously just by default is going to be a much clearer channel. And so mm-hmm. it's, it's one of the reasons I teach it, and I'm on such a big mission to help people connect with this, because... You know, if you have to go, it's like, you know, it's like me having to go to church to get to God, right? Like I have to go to the pastor and be like, what does God want for me? And then the pastor's like, oh, God wants you. So in the same way, being an Akashic reader is kind of like that. And so you really do have to be, you know, very on top of your own biases. And one of so there's a few ways that I deal with this. One is kind of just very pragmatic where uh, when I go into the records, I just kind of establish that I'm in receiving mode from the Akashic field and that I'm not imprinting. So even just energetically setting that structure up. I am receiving and I am not imprinting. So I'm a, a clear vessel, a clear channel to receive this information. And, um, and I'm not feeding back in and imprinting this person's records with my own stuff. So even just by setting that intention, you know, you kind of get a little bit more of that clarity. The other thing I do is if ever I have something come in and I feel like, okay, am I imprinting or am I like kind of being swayed by my own position on this? I'll quite literally ask the Akashic Records, is this me or you? And we've developed this shorthand where they literally give me a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Like, it's, you know, is this me? And then, and they'll say, like, thumbs up. It is not thumbs down. It's not you. So it's like, it's kind of, you know, silly little pragmatic things. And then, furthermore, I think that um, ultimately, one of the things I do is I always keep my energy. So I pull my energy in and I keep the person's energy outside of my energy. So I don't like necessarily bring them through me because I don't want their energy in with my energy. So there it's like when I'm reading, I'm reading their energy outside of me. And so, you know, at the end of the day, you still are human. You're still going to have to really be on top of this. And, um, if I don't know, this is the thing that I, you know, I do for myself and I tell for my students, if it's not a hundred percent clear where I'm like, this is for sure the records, this is for sure them, this is for sure a hundred percent. I don't say it. I don't, I just don't say it. And anything that feels fuzzy for me or gray area And I'll even say, you know, I can't I can't say this clearly. It's not a hundred percent clear for me. So I can't say it. And I think that's all you can really do is just be in that awareness of yourself and be in integrity of not saying something that isn't a hundred percent accurate from the way the the location that you can experience it. And again, this is why I'd rather you read your own records. (laughs) Yeah. You know.
2: (laughs) One of the things I tell my students to help avoid some of these problems as I say you know whenever you're getting intuitive downloads or you're communicating with somebody's soul and getting information that you 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 have the urge to tell them or you think is important to tell them I have a rule ask don't tell so instead of saying oh the reason you've got Crohn's disease is because you cheated on your ex-husband the way you communicate that if you really believe it enough to say it, you say I'm just curious What was your relationship like with your ex-husband? Because I'm picking up ex-husband energy in your field right now. That way the person has a chance to express to you and you will be able to find out fairly quickly if what you were told was true or not, but you'll get it from them instead of projecting it onto them.
0: Yeah, a hundred percent. Yeah. And and actually it's great that you said that because that that's definitely one of the things I'll do. And I, I, for some reason, this thought just left my head. It was so po- poignant and I wanted to bring it in, but it just went poof. So, yeah, <laughs> but, it, well, but you're right. <laughs> that's the way to do it.
2: <laughs> yeah. There's so many facets to this, you know, and I think the risk is people turn themselves into junior wannabe pseudo psychics. And that leads to
0: that's yes. a lot of problems. That's my point. Okay. Thank you for saying that's the psychic thing. So whenever I do a reading, I always preface it. I say, this is not a psychic reading. This isn't you sit in the chair Stonewall me and like, don't say anything and don't share anything, and just see if I happen to say the right thing that is right for you and makes sense to prove to you that I'm reading the Akashic Records. Like, we're not doing that. If I share something with you and it sparks something that you want to share and is meaningful, please share that with me because that's going to help me develop why I might be sensing this thing. And so it's very, actually, it's really important for me when I'm working with anyone and also to teach my students, you know, you don't have to sit there and try to be a psychic. You don't have to sit there and try to, oh, I hope that Aunt Martha comes through and I can guess that it's Aunt Martha. And, you know, like just get rid of that whole idea and allow them, the person you're working with, to really help you. In the development of what's coming through. And I, I totally agree because otherwise you get stuck in this like guessing game where you want to make sure that you're proving to them that you're, you're actually reading or you can actually see this thing. It's like, let all of that ego stuff go and just be in a really like soul held heartful conversation with the person.
2: But you can also say things to people that are ultimately very dangerous. Like you can say, very oh, you're going to be divorced from your husband in three years. So you might as well, you know, get ready for that. And next thing you know, they're like having a hard time connecting to their husband because they're thinking, oh, this guy's going to leave me anyhow. And they're starting to look around for their next man and their next nest or whatever. So I think it's it's... It's, it's very, very
0: dangerous. And in fact, that's something that I teach my students. Like you never... You never tell, even if you have a hit in the Akashic records of like, okay, maybe this thing isn't looking great, or maybe it's on a timeline or a trajectory that might end up in divorce or might end. That is not the point of reading somebody's records. It's like you said earlier, it's what's going on for you in this that this is opening up you to look into your own self-discovery. What is this relationship bringing into light for you that maybe needs healing or love or work or compassion? And so I think that's a really dangerous thing and something that you have to take very, very seriously. Like You, you cannot tell, you know, I, my, mom, my mom's sister went to a psychic when she was like in her late teens. And the psychic told her she was going to die in a car accident. And my mom's sister died in a car accident right before she turned 22. And I'm like, what kind of fucking person tells somebody and plants that in their aura like a seed that now sprouts into some kind of co-creative process? And, Mm -hmm. you know that that psychic may have been able to see some timeline where that could be a potentiality, but that was, I mean, to me, that is just, now you're playing God. Now you're, you're like making that thing. You're planting that seed. You're co-creating. You're enforcing that outcome.
2: Well, that's so, also the nocebo effect. Mm-hmm. As the placebo turned into a negative. Right. And the yeah. placebo is super powerful.
0: A hundred percent. And I just think this young woman in her late teens, you know, how sensitive was she to that? How, how did that build in her frequency? What kind of layers did that go into? And I just, you know, I kept that with me and I feel like that story made such a profound impact on me because of the work that I do now, because you have so much responsibility and even when women are like, "Please tell me this or tell me that can't you just tell I mean I hear this all the time, can't you just tell me?" And it's like, "No, you know because this is all in you already this is this is your your world, your universe, you're creating it, so what do you want to create with it?
2: yeah. Vanessa, I'm digging this conversation. It's just like when we met together. <laughs> just, it just <laughs> flows, you know?
0: We just dropped in. I know. I can't wait till we actually get to do this in person. Like,
2: <laughs> Yeah, that'd be fun. Yeah. Yeah.
0: It would be really fun.
2: Whenever you're out this week, make sure you, you tell me.
0: You did say you're coming to Jackson Hole though. So one one we'll day I, I, I
2: will. Yeah, because uh, Angie's got a really good friend there uh, and she convinced me it's a cool place to go. So
4: I don't so like beautiful. to travel
2: as, as I've shared with you because of 25 years of airplanes that wore me out. But um, if I do come to Jackson Hole, I will definitely look you up. But if you uh, come to San Diego, we're an hour's drive from the San Diego airport.
0: You're, are you in Vista? Is that right? Fallbrook. Or fall, Fallbrook. Okay. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I will definitely. And I will be in San Diego. It'll happen.
2: Cool. Yeah. yeah I'm sure you If you think your conversation flows with me, wait till you meet Angie and start rapping with her. She'll... You'll, you'll meet your match right there. The two of you will be the, the witches are in the house.
0: Cue the cauldron. Let's
3: go. Yeah.
2: Yeah. You'll have plenty to talk about with her. In fact, I just I recorded, uh, we just recorded a podcast with Angie and a lady named Sally Crow. Have you ever heard of Sally Crow? Mm-mm. She's an expert at communicating with people on the other side.
3: Oh
0: beautiful.
2: She's a medium and Angie is too. And the two of them were so such a dynamic duo. Man, it was a mind-blowingly good oh, podcast.
0: Awesome. I love that. Oh you'll awesome. have to
2: keep your eyes out for that one. I
0: will. Yeah, I will. I'd love to hear it.
2: It's your kind of podcast.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm like, I feel like I want to I'm I'm right in the room with them. Let's go. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my My next question is that we've learned from quantum quantum physics that any act of observation changes reality it changes what is seen or perceived by the viewer. We also know for example that when we view something, if we have any preconceived notions about what we're observing such as subatomic particles uh, photons photons spin et etc, the outcome changes to match our intentions and perceived notions or even unconscious expectations. Um, I've been told by a skilled reader of the Akashic Records that the act of reading them changes them. What are your thoughts in this regard and what steps do you take to ensure the information you're reading isn't um, being distorted just by your own observation? We talked about biases before, but now I'm talking about the reality that quantum is called the observer effect, which I'm sure you're aware of. Mm -hmm. So how do you handle the observer effect so that you aren't bending reality.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, so I've really thought about this and, you know, it was kind of like with anything, right? how do you, What do you do with this idea, with this knowledge that our observation is actually changing outcomes? And this is where I honestly had to let God in. Good. I had to let God in just completely and just say, you know what? There's a reason that this person is with me. There's a reason we're opening their records. There's a reason that whatever's coming through is coming through and instead of me trying to you know control or white knuckle or make sure we're no you know am i observing am i changing it I, I had to just let god completely into the picture and say all right god like you show me the way you you tell me how do we do this how do we proceed in the highest timing and the highest experience for everybody because ultimately, this is just not something that you're going to be able to control. Like, this, this is not one that I'm going to be like, okay, well, let me just, you know, peg the observation meter so that
2: everybody yeah. stays fluid.
0: I'm it's observing, just, but I'm
2: not observing. Remember, God. Yeah,
0: exactly. Like, you know, it's just this is one beyond me that I've got to give to God. And and so that's just really where I've landed with it. and And in that grace of giving it to the infinite, giving it to God— I can trust that, okay, this is, this is how it's supposed to be for me and this person, and this is what we're co-creating together, and that's equally as important in the timeline of the Akashic records as what may or may not have happened to them in, you know, the reading or what we're, cre- what we're pulling through.
2: Well, good. I'm going to give you what might be a little gift.
0: All right. Please do. <laughs> I love presents, by the way. So,
2: <laughs> I have a feeling you're going to give me a gift soon, too. Um, Yogananda says you won't so much as bump into somebody on the street that you don't have a soul contract with. So if I was in your position, how I would answer the question is, yes, observing it does change it. But that person has a soul contract with me because I am supposed to use my skills to support them in fulfilling their own life path, their own mission, their own dream, and their own vision of themselves. So the fact that I'm reading it for them is preordained by the fact that they've come to me and therefore knowing everything that I know, I also do my very best to be neutral and not you know, bend or filter the information, which is one of the reasons I teach Czech professionals, look, if you have a religious bias, you're going to have a very hard time doing what I'm teaching you because your bias is going to draw people to you, and if you have a bias against, say, same-sex relationships, you're going to be in your mind thinking, oh, this person's a sinner, they're dirty, God's going to burn them in hell, they haven't accepted Jesus as their savior, and there's no way you can be a clean vessel for that person, and so I lose a lot of, mostly Christians, but all sorts of people in training, because I tell them, this, you know, I I purposely say things to trigger them, so I'll get the Bible verses thrown at me and then I'll let them know. You got to heal that. If you want to do what I'm teaching you to do, you got to heal that. You have to become capable of loving everybody as they are or you're actually probably going to be a source of stress in their life, not a source of levity or direction because you're really going to, your unconscious bias is going to infect them at an unconscious or conscious level. My gift is to say, if they're coming to you, it's already in the path of that individual to seek you out as part of their soul path.
0: Yeah. And I, I mean, I a hundred percent agree. And in fact, it's even in my trainings, like this soul contract piece. So it's, it's perfect. Yeah. And I, and I believe it, you know, I think that, some of this stuff is just beyond us and we just have to accept like this is part of the destiny path. It's part of the soul contract. It's part of what is written and, and give it to God. It's, we can, it, it's okay. We
2: can trust it. This next question is a, a pretty important one, but a bit of a deeper question. There are many things in the Akashic records that may be very hard for people to confront, such as the loss of loved ones, past events, even probable future events that could be very scary to know i've had many visions of what's coming that have shocked me to my core as an example so i have to be conscious about how i deliver that to people and who i deliver it to for obvious reasons my question is how do you go about reading the akashic records without filtering what the records are conveying either to you or to them because a lot of these things i've found through my life of working in the spiritual realms take what I call tremendous spiritual courage to to really confront, be present with. And um, it's very easy to shut yourself down or block the information being given to you because of your own fear, just like a lot of parents don't want their kids to do things, not because it's not a good idea, but because they're so afraid of the work it might cause for them if their kid falls off their motocross bike or whatever, that they're actually not really honestly protecting their child. They're protecting themselves. So uh, I'm just curious, uh, have you confronted things in the Akashic Records that have been hard for you to digest or look at?
0: So the way that my relationship works with the Akashic Records and the way that they have really explained it to me is that they're not there to bring through scary things or, um, you know, to, to scare me or the person that I'm reading for, you know, they've been very, very clear about that. We're here to channel in, to help create, co-create the positive current. And so, the focus that they always give me and the focus that I always am able to kind of gear into or turn towards is what is helpful? What is beneficial? What is moving this thing towards the positive stream of what's possible for this person and not taking it into a negative current that could be scary or harmful for them? And so for me, it's it's literally about, all right, let's take in what's coming and let's what Where can we see the light in this? Where can we see that there's a, a spark of this the purity and the joy and the grace of what can be created from this? That doesn't mean that, you know, like, for instance, about a month ago, I did a reading, and a woman's um son who passed away came through. But and that was hard, right? Because of course, that's emotional for her. But immediately when the same son came through, he was sharing with her a positive message. He was um, alleviating some doubts she had about what happened in his death. He was immediately moving this difficult thing into a positive current. And so my relationship with the Akashic Records is not that we have to go dig into a ditch and you know bury ourselves in scary, dark stuff. It's, okay, what is and how can we move this towards the positive current and towards the light and towards the love and towards something beneficial for this person? So it's not as hard as you know you might think because that's the direction they want to take it and that's the direction that they're helping me to take it.
2: I think the devil you know is always better than the devil you don't know. I mean, I've had these types of circumstances many times in my career. I'll give you an example to exemplify what I'm really... Addressing here. I don't know how many years ago, probably seven or eight years ago now, a personal friend of mine's wife was suffering with severe stage four cancer. And she had gone to, she'd had chemo, she'd had radiation, she'd gone to probably five different people that were recognized as highly skilled healers and therapists, and nothing was working. She was getting worse and worse. And she was really quite distraught. She wasn't that old. She was probably 55, maybe, Mm -hmm. 52, 55. And so he said, Paul, would you please meet with my wife and see if you can find out why she's not healing? And she knew who I was, so she was open. To She wanted me to come see her. And so I connected to her soul and, and said, you know, this is why I'm being asked to communicate with you. Um, can you share anything with me to give to your body mind to help her understand why she's not healing? And her soul told me her work is over on the earth plane. It's time for her to go. And she will be dying within the next three months. And so that was a tricky situation for me. And I had to really sit carefully and center myself. Because if you tell something like that and it's wrong, it's bad for everybody involved, including me. And so I said to my soul, how am I supposed to tell her this? And my soul said, tell her that her work in the earth plane is done and that she should consider that death is always a possibility, and that she should bring closure to any um, unresolved traumas, pains, challenges, or anything that she has resent, remorse, or regret over, apologize to anybody she needs to apologize, and that would be a necessary step to her own healing either way, and so I shared that with her, and she immediately just broke down into tears. She goes, you're telling me that I'm going to die, aren't you? And I said, well, if you want to hear it that way, you can. But what I'm telling you is that what your soul told me is that your work on the earth plane is done and that it's important for you, whether you're going to be here or not, because you're not healing, you need to look carefully at where you have unresolved relationship challenges, issues, anything that's stopping your life force from manifesting itself for healing. And I said, It doesn't matter if you're going to die or not. If you have any of that unresolved, that's probably what's holding you back from your healing. And so, you know, she cried a lot and and I left her with that and she died three months later. But I didn't tell her she was going to die in three months. I just told her that your soul Mm -hmm. says your work is done here. And and she did do what I told her to do. And she had a very peaceful death because... You know, it's a personal friend of mine, so I got the whole inside issue. Um, so there's an example of 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 where you really have to. Uh, it's, it's like walking on a tightrope. Yeah, there's some like it, it was hard for me even to hear that because then of then course. I'm the messenger. It's like okay, how do I deal with this? And that's what I mean. You know, I I not only needed spiritual courage to confront that with her, because she's my friend too, somebody that I really enjoyed a lot. But I also, I didn't want to convey wrong information to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I, I had to have the courage to sit with what I was being told. And I asked at least three times, are you sure this is what I'm hearing? And then I checked with my own soul. Am I hearing this from her soul? Yes, you are. So... I presented it to her as honestly but as neutrally as I could without triggering a nocebo effect, but she was quite a wise woman. (laughs) She read me fairly fast, and she goes, you're saying I'm going to die, aren't you? And I said, well, I'm not saying that directly. I'm saying that your work's done here, and that's probably why you're not healing, because at some level of yourself, you're ready to move on, and it's up to you to decide if that's true or not. And regardless, the suggestion is that you need to clean up the Mm -hmm. loose ends around you, because even if any of us die with those loose ends, that's the first thing we're going to have to confront when we go through the death process. Um, So I'm I'm really, this is what the question was around is is dealing with these kinds of tricky situations. And I think it's important because it would also be just as just as distorted to not tell her what was being conveyed because that was obviously a sole contract I had with her. And that, that, that takes a fair depth of wisdom and a fair level of consciousness. And I don't think anybody, uh, the average person that thinks they can read Akashic records or any of that kind of stuff, psychic or otherwise can really deal with that in a most, loving ethical way if they don't have enough life experience and depth of wisdom to know how to use that because a lot of young people that you know are high on themselves you know the junior psychic they they think they're really being the 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 cat's meow when they say oh you're going to die in three months and whether it's true or not it's not always the best way to deliver something like that so I'm, I'm asking you, how do you deal with these things?
0: Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's really important that we go back to the whole soul contract thing, right? Because I am not going to be given someone who I'm not prepared to deliver what I need to deliver to that person. And if we go back to this idea about soul contracts, I'm going to have the soul contracts with the people that I can deliver what needs to be delivered with. And if I don't have the emotional capacity, the spiritual capacity, the strength, the whatever it is, then in my experience, I'm not going to have that person yet because I'm not ready for it. I'm not yeah. going to have that person orbit and it makes sense that you would have that person because you do have that level of sophistication and depth. You're, you're able to hold something like that because you have that in your aura. So of course you're going to have a soul contract at that level because that's what you're holding. You're holding that kind of attainment. And so I believe that I'm going to have the people come to me that I can complete on the soul contract. To take that one step further, if I did have a scenario like that, which I have not had a scenario like that yet, Um, where I would likely take that is to share with them that they may have made a soul contract with the time of their death and the experience of what they create on planet Earth. And now that they're here in this position... They may be deciding that they don't actually want to end the contract at this point or that they want to edit the contract or they want some flexibility to perhaps work with a longer timeline. And so I would take them into like the actual editing process of the soul contract. And this is a process that I can, you know, take someone in where they can literally locate the file of that soul contract. And we can work in the Akashic field to see if we can actually work with editing it, updating it changing it, shifting it. And so back to my point about even if something that difficult came in, there would be a way to at least bring in some positive current of like, okay, well, this may be what's on tap for you, but if that's not what you want and you would like to look at potentially editing it, let's go through that process. It may or may not work, but at least it gives that person some kind of capacity for feeling like they have a chance and a, and a, you know, the ability to work with their timeline and to work with the contracts that they have. So I think that, you know, you have to be in the place where you can feel innately what's appropriate for that person. And you also are just going to, you're going to get the people that you're prepared to deal with. I just really believe that. The Akashic Records isn't setting you up for failure, you know and that's the thing about this they're they're not trying to bring in people that you're going to ruin their lives or you're going to you know do something like it's just not that kind of energy field like this is such a beautiful energy field it's in a positive current it wants to help it's not here to like you know hurt somebody or do something terrible so i think that you know the, again back to the giving it to god you have to kind of trust this process a little bit and know All right, if this person's coming to me, I am going to have the bandwidth to deal with what they have going on because they're here. They're in my chair.
2: Hi, did you know that there are numerous studies using specialized dyes and radiolucent markers showing that when we eat a specific organ or gland from an animal, it ends up going directly to the same organ or gland in our body? This deep wisdom has been known long before science validated it, and people like St. Hildegard of Bingen all the way back in the 1100s wrote a diet book showing what specific meats would help heal ailments in the body. Francis Marion Pottinger, author of the famous Pottinger's Cat Study, used radiolucent markers and found that when we eat the adrenal glands of an animal, the molecules of adrenal tissue go right to our own adrenal glands. The body is very efficient and won't try to reinvent the wheel, so to speak. This is also true of collagen. About 15 years ago, while performing stunt lifting, I had a man fall from above right onto my head, blowing out two of my discs completely, tearing spinal ligaments and leaving me with spinal cord and nerve root compression. Any surgeon would have immediately wanted to fuse these joints and put metal in my neck, but I chose to rehabilitate myself, and one of the key dietary ingredients I used was collagen powder. This feeds the body the exact molecules it needs to repair the damaged collagen in my neck, and I'm still going strong. Joint degeneration is not only very common among athletes, but among workers and people of all ages today, and regularly consuming Organifi's collagen supplement may save you from a lot of pain, doctor's visits, and surgery. Give your body the resources it needs and let it do its magic. Organifi collagen uses only real food ingredients. It contains hydrolyzed bovine hide collagen peptides. This protein form is derived from pasture-raised cows. It is associated with pain relief from aches and pains in joints, radiant skin health, and even bone loss prevention. Eggshell membrane collagen. Taken from the thin layer between the egg and the shell, it is collagen-rich, and this may be beneficial for strong joint health. Hydrolyzed fish collagen peptides, derived from wild-caught fish. This is a particularly useful collagen source because of its small particle size, making it easily digestible and absorbable. Chicken bone broth protein concentrate. This source provides the collagen type found in your gut, joints, and cartilage and helps support greater health both inside and out. Don't wait until you're in so much pain that it hurts to do what you love to do or you're told you need surgery when you can feed your body Organifi Collagen and feel better every day while also enhancing your nutritional profile. To get your Organifi Collagen go-to, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I dot com forward slash C-H-E-K-20. That's Organifi.com forward slash C-H-E-K-20. On checkout, use your Living 4D discount code capital C capital H capital E capital K-20 and get 20% off with your purchase of Organifi Collagen. I don't know if you've thought about this or not, But if one edits their soul contracts, you realize it changes the outcome of the entire universe.
0: I do. Yeah. And here's the thing, right? And these multiple timelines and multiple scenarios, you know, some people don't, don't believe in this, don't believe in editing their soul contracts and, you know, think that it is what it is and you decided that's what it should be and you should stick with it. That's just not the experience. That's not the information I've got from the Akashic Records. I've received that everything is constantly shifting and fluid, and all of it is changing, and it's all changing all of the time. So if you get here and to this level and this degree of your consciousness says, you know what? I created that soul contract, and I wrote it up in a certain way that seemed like a really good idea from the place I was standing and the position I was in at that time. But now I'm in a different position, and that contract is like, not looking like the greatest thing for me to fulfill upon, I feel, and, and I've got this from the Akashic Records, they're like, why, why? we're not here to hurt you. Like We want you. We want you to be happy. We want you to love your life. We want you to love this experience of your existence. Why wouldn't we give you the tools and the capacity and the opportunity to shift your timeline if the timeline you're on isn't the be- you know the most optimized one for yourself at that moment?
2: Yeah, I mean, I think this is where one's conception of God can really um, have a huge influence because if you're conscious enough to know that we're all connected and every action we take affects the entire universe, which the butterfly effect is an example of, you you know the butterfly effect, right? Mm -hmm. Yep. So, um, but because my experience of God is infinite processing power, infinite intelligence, infinite information infinite processing speed and infinite capability and because each of us are made in god's image we do have the capacity to be co-creators so we're all making choices all the time and we're all making choices because we have free will that ultimately affect everybody else you know someone calls us a nasty thing we can punch them in the nose or we can handle it another way and if you punch him in the nose, you're going to change the universe forever. <laughs> if you handle it another way, you're going to change the universe forever. Exactly. So, <laughs> I, I, I think what, what I'm trying to point out and the reason I brought that up is because to change a soul contract is it's not something that I would personally as a therapist, coach, or spiritual guide take lightly. I would tell someone before you change the contract, I would encourage you to to really sit and communicate deeply within yourself and what, what I would call your soul and be clear that that's really the right thing to do because otherwise people would be changing their soul contracts all the time to avoid having to deal with the husband they don't like or the job they don't like or the boss they don't like and it would just turn the whole thing into a childish video game instead of a legitimate process of self-realization.
0: I 100% agree. Yeah, and all of these processes aren't to be taken lightly, right? It's like, you know, at the end of the day, if you really if you really feel like you want to shift something, but there's you know, there's so many beautiful positives about it as well, right? You may have incarnated mm. into a lifetime of poverty right you might have signed a col- a soul contract that's like okay sorry this time around you're just going to be poor this is the thing and and you just decide i don't i don't want to do that poverty line you know this can be such an incredible thing for somebody to actually give themselves that vibrational shift to be able to move out of that impoverished state and yeah you're right it's it's not to be taken lightly but it's also um it's also if they've come to me and that's the moment we're at, like, I just, I trust it. I trust that, like, we're being guided to that moment for a reason. And, you know, we, we have to have this ability, like you said, to co-create and to shift and to reorganize ourselves into the higher expression of possibility.
2: Yeah. I think the question I would have the person ask themselves in, in a situation like that is ask yourself what would love do now?
3: Mm,
0: yeah, that's beautiful. That way you're
2: you're getting guided from the right place.
0: Mm, I love that. Yeah, yeah, that's beautiful. And,
2: you know, the the real issue there is all love comes with responsibility. Absolutely. And so if you're changing a, a soul contract to avoid responsibility, I would say, you know, there's no way you can avoid the responsibility that you came here to develop experience and 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 live so it's just like people that keep divorcing people because they 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 don't like uh, them after 2 years they just keep remarrying the same kind of people till they heal it
0: yeah and sometimes the soul contracts with yourself right it's yeah. it's the contract you have with yourself to go through a certain amount of time and this is one of the examples that they've given me it's like You may have signed the soul contract that you're going to be with an abusive partner for 10 years, and that's going to be the amount of time that really anchors in the lessons that come with that. But you get, you know, four or five years into the experience and you're like, the soul soul says, I got it, like – I really got it. I got the lesson. Um, you know, I, I don't really want to do the next six years. <laughs> Can, you know? So sometimes it's editing it with yourself. Like, okay, I mm-hmm. agreed to do this in order to get this certain you know, potency of these lessons, but I'm there. I'm here with it. I promise you I've got it. And now I'm ready to edit and, and relieve myself of that, that timeline that I thought was necessary. And I love, I love the question, what would love do? I think that's beautiful.
2: Yeah, I think the other factor too is you can never really bullshit yourself in a situation like that because it's in your field and like attracts, like and opposites attract. That's the universal principle. So if you're editing your contract and telling God that you've got it, but you're just bullshitting yourselves, well, you you can edit all you want, but you're going to keep attracting whatever it is that you came here to experience because that's, what you came here to experience. So in other words, if the person saying I've got it, but they really haven't got it, they're just trying to avoid the work that they signed up for. It's kind of like a soldier that gets scared in the middle of a battlefield, puts his weapon down and doesn't want to fight. Yeah. Well, now you're just a danger to everybody else.
0: And this is another way that we can also bring in the trust of God, because here's the thing. I really believe if that soul contract is not in the highest possibility for this person to shift this that God's gonna you know God has veto power <laughs> you know you get a vote God gets a vote and the the other person or thing gets a vote and sometimes you get outvoted you know <laughs> it's like sorry yeah. sister you got outvoted this time and so you know it's back to that giving it to God and trusting that God always has a hand in it and an eye in it and and that universal love towards it.
2: I think Robert F. Kennedy is proof of God's veto power.
0: <laughs> there's lots of examples out there. <laughs> I think we can definitely
2: find a few more if we look. <laughs> I'm like, uh, actually, finally, there's a human being that's sane running for president. There's not a criminal. What a cool idea! A let's co- see if we can. Let's see if we can get there without getting killed. Oh,
0: you know, I was with um, Dell Big Tree at our event, and you know Dell's working. You know Dell Big Tree, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, he was at our bee fest event in in May, April, whenever that was, and um, he's working he's working with him for on his campaign. And I was saying that you know I want to give them some mantras, some protection mantras to have with him at all times because he's going to definitely need that protection. And you know, it also speaks to like the the. the the shift in consciousness, like we are, I think really, really so many of us are ready for a true candidate, for a true change, for a true elevation of this experience. And in the end, like it's us that are going to decide if at a consciousness level, if we're ready for that. And if, you know, someone like that of that caliber can actually make it to office. And I really hope Honestly, God, like,
2: vote the right way. (laughs) Yeah, I I just say, thank you, thank you, thank you, and hold the vision, you know. It's Mm -hmm. just, uh, you know, have you ever done a fire walk before?
0: No, I haven't. I want to do it. Yeah, I would love to do it though. I have.
2: It's the the real deal. I did it with Tony. I used to be Tony Robbins therapist. So he used to invite me to his various (laughs) events and he invited me to a firewalk and it was like 35 feet across and he had a thermometer in the coals. It was 2,600 degrees. There was no bullshitting your way across those coals. (laughs) No. The point I'm making though is When I think of RFK and the real risks of him getting killed and and the fact that he would be the third Kennedy for the same reason to get killed, um, I think of the firewalk. And one of the things you have to do in a firewalk, which is exactly what you got to do in a deep shamanic journey, you always have to see yourself on the other side. Mm -hmm. You you hold the vision of being on the other side. And so as I'm doing the firewalk, I am not. Putting my consciousness into how hot, hot the coals are, I just visualize myself standing on the other side and I manifest that vision regardless of what's in between it. I just, I am going to be there and I'm going to be safe, home, and whole. And I hold that. And that's my mantra. I'm safe, I am home, I'm whole, and I'm there. And so when I think of Robert F. Kennedy, I just hold the vision and I see him on the other side of the process so that I don't add more fear to the fear or I just amplify the fear. I just hold him in my vision, and I hold the American people, not only the American people, but the people of the world need Robert F. Kennedy uh, because the American influence on the world. So I would encourage anybody that has the same concerns we're talking about just to hold the vision and see him in his wholeness and see us in our wholeness and don't fall into the trap of letting your fear be your guide or you will just manifest exactly what you focus on and that's the observer effect.
3: Mhm.
0: Mm. Yeah, I almost don't even want to like say it anymore. We'd like, yeah, let's just hold him in the office and th- End scene. (laughs) Like, that's it. That's the only outcome.
2: (laughs) I think we need to build another office. I think the White House has too many dark skeletons in it.
0: (laughs) Definitely needs a good smudging.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit of a a faulty name. It should be called the Black House. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) Yeah. Have you ever found anything in the Akashic Records regarding whether the universe is one totality or... Is it a multiverse or an omniverse?
0: You know the way that they give it to me is that it's so infinite we can't we can't even grasp it. So right. I, I guess omniverse is the unlimited one, right? Like yeah, it's the, it's, yeah, yeah. It's just
2: universe after universe, dimension after dimension.
0: Yeah, and the multiverse is when it's finite, right? Is that correct?
2: Uh, the multiverse is really the concept that. Every time we make a decision, there's a bifurcation. So we actually create another universe where that possibility can happen. And according to the guy that... I forgot the guy's name that came up with the theory. It's just slipping my mind right now. But he says that there's 10 to the 500 multiverses or Mm. universes in the multiverse. So, you know, 10 with 500 zeros behind it. You might as well just say infinite. (laughs)
0: Yeah, I guess, you know, the way I understood it is that there was some kind of finite experience to the multiverse. And, you know, I don't know is a multiverse or omniverse, but the way that I understand it is like, it's beyond the, the infinity of it is beyond anything that we can even understand. It's like, it's just literally infinite and it's expanding and growing all the time. It's becoming even bigger, even more.
2: Yes, I agree. Um, What's your opinion on the use of plant medicines to enhance one's ability to read the Akashic Records? I imagine in the wrong hands, it would probably be detrimental versus helpful.
0: You know, I don't think it's necessary. Um, I don't think it's like a prerequisite or even, you know, a way to train for this modality. Um, You know, I think that plant medicines have their own consciousness and their own, they're, they're kind of their own lane, if you will. And I feel like the Akashic Records is... Uh it's its own lineage, it's its own thing. And so you can certainly have plant medicine experiences, and I certainly have that inform some of the ways that I experience the Kashic Records, where I'm like, okay, I feel like I've had this in a plant medicine journey. So I now that I'm seeing it in the Kashic Records, it's like it it makes sense somehow because I've had that experience before. But I just I don't really think the two are related in any way, you know, and it's not you don't have to have you don't have to do plant medicine to read the Kashik records. You don't need to uh read the Kashic records to know if you should do plant medicine. Like to me, they just feel very, very separate in nature. And they may, yeah, there may be crossover, you know, things that you experience, but it's not it's not necessary it's, it's not necessary to do plant medicine to work in the Kashik Records.
2: Yeah. I mean, I didn't think it was. I just wondered if if you thought it was helpful or a hindrance or...
0: I think it just depends on the person, right? I think it's, you know, I think it's ultimately the question is, is plant medicine helpful for you as a person? Like that's just, you know, or is something positive coming out of that? Then probably something positive would come from, you know, that experience as it relates to the Akashic records, but it's not... Yeah, it's not, and I just don't feel like they're necessarily connected in any measurable way.
2: Yeah, if if you felt there was a specific quality that you think's most important to develop, if one is interested in reading the Akashic records, what would be the quality one should focus on developing to enhance their ability to read the records?
0: You know, it kind of comes back to the conversation we were having before about being able to hold the energy, you know, and, and really have like the energetic capacity. So it's one of the reasons that I use Kundalini yoga in my training is that I actually want to help you build the, you know, the, the, this fitness. To hold these kinds of frequencies, to hold this kind of energy, and so I would say that having a strong pranic pras- practice, like we talked about, having a strong physical practice, have- being able to hold big energy, you mm-hmm. know, whatever that looks like, and you know, to me, Kundalini yoga is a no-brainer, and it's just such a beautiful way to help support the, you know, the Akashic field in your relationship with it, but whatever your Practices. You need to have a strong practice because these can be big frequencies that you're
2: that you're working with. What can somebody expect when they do a certification with you? Is that what your certifications are in? Is how to read the Akashic records?
0: Yeah. So um, they can basically, you know, it, it's like I always say, it's you'll learn to read the Akashic records and you'll learn to have a relationship with the Akashic records, but it's not necessarily about okay, well, you know, these are the things that you'll learn from the Akashic records that I'll teach you. What I'll teach you is to have your own relationship so that you could find out the way that the Akashic records want to work with you, through you, have a relationship with you. So it's not about copying my experience or how I do it, but rather showing you how you can find your own experience within it. And so, you know, that can be from everything from understanding soul contracts to working with souls on the other side to you know all kinds of different things in the akashic records but it's more about cultivating that relationship within you to figure out what how it can be meaningful for you and and there's a, a lot of kundalini yoga too so <laughs> yeah cool yeah yeah it's very cool
2: you know i know you've been taking people around the world for over a decade now on your adventure spirit experiences what what is it that fires you up gets you so juiced up about doing this
0: you know i think um I didn't even understand why I was doing this in the beginning when I first started doing it, but it's kind of like what we talked about with your woman who was working in Mount Shasta, right? Yeah. There are these certain ley lines, certain portal zones, these certain places on the planet that hold really powerful energy and powerful codes. And to go there and to immerse yourself in that energy and to bring people there, I think it's just part of my destiny to just help get people into those energy fields and to get those Mm. activations
2: where where's your next trip
0: uh we're taking a group to egypt in november so yeah Mm. uh, really really exciting i was there scouting just a couple of months ago and um powerful energy there for sure so i'm really excited to take a group and we have uh the musician her name is nessie gomez do you know nessie gomez no she's just an incredible singer songwriter so you know part of Egypt to me was a lot about sound. It was very much like that was the medicine there is there's a lot of sound codes. We were working in, you know, in the temples, singing and bringing in frequency and, you know, really working with the temple vibration. And so this woman's going to be, you know, doing uh, sound activations. I won't even say sound healings, but sound activations with us along the way. So it's it's a pretty special experience. Cool.
2: Yeah. Now, I understand that you also help others that are coaches or thought leaders or therapists organize their own retreats. Is that a separate branch of your business or how does that get involved?
0: Yeah, so it is I guess exactly. Yeah, it's a separate branch. We started running um retreats for other coaches and speakers and authors and the like a few years ago and uh, just kind of took the little magic formula we'd created for our own events and helped other you know other thought leaders do it and create magic for their communities and yeah, so it's really fun. We have an amazing team and yeah, if people out there that are listening are like I want to create events, you have so many coaches and amazing mm-hmm. people uh yeah adding events you know retreats travel events journeys like that it can it can really change the scope of your community and the way that they interact with each other it's a really beautiful thing to add in
2: yeah and having run many many events myself it's it's a lot of work and if you really aren't clear on what you're doing you can find yourself wishing you'd never done it <laughs>
0: It's more than you think.
2: <laughs> you can also lose a lot of money. You
0: can lose a lot of money. Yeah, it's it, the, the stakes are high, we say.
2: <laughs> yes. You need to kind
0: of have a formula for this thing. Yeah.
2: Yeah, Penny and I have learned the ropes the hard way.
0: <laughs> we've re- we've learned it the hard way as well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you don't, you know, you don't do retreats for y- years without learning those tough lessons. But we do, you know, we obviously aim to help
2: people avoid those mistakes because,
0: you know, there there's some things you learn. You pick up a few tricks along the way.
2: Yeah, oh, definitely, yeah. <laughs> like when to and not to and where to and not to and yep. <laughs> how to market to the right people and how to price them right. And there's so many hidden expenses in running events like that. That's one of the things that we got bit by is we we often were like, where the hell did all the money go? And then we had to really do a very careful accounting of all the hidden expenses. And then you learn how to calculate what you really have to calculate. Or you can really find yourself shocked and dismayed that you've worked your ass off and made $28. <laughs> <laughs>
0: or you even paid to do it, which is yours, yeah, oh, worse, yeah. right?
2: <laughs> oh, yes.
0: Oh, I paid $2,000 to work my ass up. Yes. Yeah, we feel you. I mean, it's, yeah, it's tough. Events are tough. And, yeah. you know, if you, especially if it's not something that you're going to take on massively in your business model, it's, yeah, the stakes are very high to just throw it out there and hope it works. I always say, if you build it, they will come. Except for
2: retreats. (laughs) Yeah. yeah. It's
0: true for everything except for retreats.
2: (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I know in a minute you, I think you have an offer uh, on some of your, uh, you have an upcoming retreat or a certification, but maybe what you can do is just share where people can find you and, any else that you want to share about what your offering is and any discounts you might have for the listeners if you have something you want to offer?
0: Yeah, awesome. Um, so we have a discount of $555 off of either Egypt, the Akashic certification. Um, we also have an Italy experience coming up. So those are the kind of offers and fun little discounts for giving your community. Um, the code is Check. I think you all know how to spell that.
2: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) C-H-E-K.
0: If not, yeah, C-H-E-K. So yeah, $555 off of any of those. You can find the retreats at Be The Wellness, B-E-E, like a the com. That's the retreat site. And then you can, you know, the easiest way to get in touch with me, honestly, is Instagram starseed.collective. Um, and if you go to my Instagram and uh, you can find a free intro to the Akashic training, so you can kind of get your feet wet and see, you know, just feel into it a little bit. And then if you decide you want to move forward, um, we have that awesome code for you to check out and get an awesome deal.
2: Awesome. Well, what a fantastic podcast. We covered so much information. Oh
0: my gosh. <laughs> Lifetimes of information.
2: <laughs> yeah. And and so, it, you know, it's, it's a, such a unique concept, the Akashic Records. And, you know, I've been familiar with it for a very long time, but I don't think most people really are. And I just thought it would be fun to talk about it. And we covered so many other important things along the way. That was fantastic, too. So thank you, Vanessa, and 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 continue, you know, sharing your love. It's obvious that you love what you're doing, and I think that's an inspiration to everybody is to do what they love to do.
0: Mm, thank you so much, Paul. It's such an honor, and just. Yeah, I feel so bonded to you even though we haven't actually officially met. I know like our our souls are connected in a deep way. So, so happy to be here with you and thank yes, you so thank much. Yes, thank you.
2: It's nice to meet somebody who's as passionate about all this stuff as I am. For sure.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I get in the weeds a little bit with it, you know? Sometimes we just have to go there. <laughs>
2: Well, you know, it wasn't for weeds, we wouldn't have healthy soil. There you go. <laughs>
0: exactly. Or poppies, you know? Find yeah. us in the poppy field.
2: <laughs> yeah.
0: Oh, we thank you so the, much.
2: We know what else comes out of poppy fields.
0: <laughs> Beautiful orange flowers. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> that you can smoke.
0: <laughs> I've never done it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, man. Um <laughs> yeah, I could tell some stories on that one but um, maybe the
0: next podcast.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, we'll have to have I mean, you
0: on our podcast and then we'll,
2: we'll
3: It's opium. Then we'll go there. Yeah.
2: Opium's what comes from poppies, yeah. Of course. Yeah. yeah of when course. I was young, I had the great fortune one time of um there was somebody in town they were actually I found out later they were part of a of the Hell's Angels motorcycle oh, wow. gang. Oh wow. But they managed to bring into Vancouver Island a bunch of opium-cured Thai weed from Thailand. And I'll never forget it. This marijuana was like buds, but they were like dripping with this black tar. Oh my gosh. And it was so sticky, and you hardly needed anything. You know, you could roll a joint with just a tiny bit of this stuff. And what an amazing experience. I mean, me and my buddies used to smoke that stuff and just go race our bicycles against each other for hours we'd do like a 40 or 50 or 60 miles at full intensity just hard as we could go and you know and you just go into this total flow state and you could just push yourself to the limit and so I had some great memories that's why when you said poppies I thought yeah there's some (laughs) neat things that can come out of those poppy fields
0: so that's so funny to me because I think of poppies, like I think of the opium dens, where they're like everybody's like, you know, totally internal, so I've never heard anybody be activated and like active on opium
2: but well, it I takes don't know. It takes opium <laughs> to calm a guy like me down to normal.:
0: <laughs> Okay, got it. <laughs> I'm,
2: I'm, I'm like a uh, an arrow. Yeah. Flying towards a target, and <laughs> the opium says, Hey, don't forget to take a little rest on the way. But well,
0: you've been working many lifetimes for this energy field, I get it, it now. Seems so, yeah, <laughs> I've seen it, I understand now. Yeah, <laughs> it all makes sense.
2: Thank you. I'll close out by saying thank you to my sponsors. I love you all. You make amazing products, and you, I love knowing how you're contributing to. Regenerative and Sustainable Practices. Thank you to all of you for anything you buy from the sponsors. It's the best stuff I can find in the world to offer you in those categories. And I wouldn't offer it to you if I didn't know for a fact that it worked well. And my family and my kids use everything we offer. So um, anything you get from the sponsor supports the podcast with a little commission. So thank you for supporting the podcast. Thanks for all of you for joining us on the journey. And I hope you all picked up something that touched your heart today and inspired you in some special way. And I look forward to sharing something amazing with you next week. And I promise you, I will share something amazing with you. Lots of love.
1: Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Vanessa Lambert. If you'd like a deeper dive into the Akashic Records, Vanessa offers her Akashic certification at... Be the forward slash Akashic dash certification. That's B E E the wellness.com forward slash A K A S H I C dash certification. Use the code CHECK for $555 off. You can also get her free introduction to the Akashic records at starseed.university forward slash course forward slash intro to the Akash. If you'd like to join her upcoming travel experience to Italy in September for an Epicurean adventure, go to bethewellness.com forward slash Italy dash 2023 for more details. And for Egypt and music on the Nile in November, go to bethewellness.com forward slash Egypt dash 2023. Use the code CHECK to let Vanessa know where you heard about her. Connect with Vanessa on Instagram at starseed.collective and at be the wellness. That's B E E, the wellness. Or find her on Facebook at be the wellness. Catch up with Paul on Instagram, TikTok, and threads at paul.check. On Twitter at paulcheck. Or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash living4d with Paul Check. Watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com or visit the Czech Institute site at czechinstitute.com to find Paul's e-learning courses, advanced training programs, and to learn more about the Czech Academy. You could read the show notes and find links to all the resources mentioned in this episode at czechinstitute.com forward slash podcast. This podcast would not be possible without the support of our premier sponsors by Optimizers, Paleo Valley, and Organifi, and our newest sponsors, Ned and Wild Pastures. Please show your appreciation by taking advantage of their special discounts for listeners. The links are all in the show notes. And finally, if you enjoyed today's episode, please consider leaving us a five-star rating and a warm review on the podcast platform of your choice. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple music, Audible, Google Podcasts, and YouTube.